ladies and gentlemen and welcome once again to Yorkshire Gamers Read Big War Games podcast and today we are on episode 46 of that particular podcast but it's also episode 5 of Brews in the Binyard. So if you haven't listened to one of these before I shall go through it very shortly. Uh, But I'd just like to say thank you very much to my last guest, Mark Hydes. Uh, We had a fantastic chat about loads of things old school. Uh, That was released 10 days ago. If uh, you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, it's uh, available on Podbean as usual and will be released very, very shortly on YouTube. And it was a cracking chat with Mark about loads of stuff. Um, He's an author, he's a painter... Um, he's an old school gamer. He's uh, heavily involved in uh, Triples, the classic war game show. So give that a listen. Pop down to his website, Conflict in Colour, and uh, read all about his uh, professional painting service. So today it's going to be Brews in the Binyard. We've had lots of new people uh, listen since we did the last one at Christmas. So, a little bit of a warning, if you haven't heard one before, these are very, very different to the normal, in inverted commas, programs that uh, that I do. And this is myself, uh, Sean uh, Clark from God's Own Scale Podcast, and Alex Sutheran from the Storm of Steel YouTube's channel. Um, it's a lot more freeform. We are a lot more relaxed. It's meant to be humorous. Uh, we're not having to go at anyone in any of the uh, things that you hear and say. And we have a go at uh, some difficult, that's probably the wrong word. We have to have a go at some interesting topics. That's probably the best way of saying it. So uh, format's different. It's in three parts. The first part, we have a general catch-up, and this time we have got the draw for the first round of the Yorkshire Gamers World Cup of Historical Miniatures Rules. So that's well worth tuning in and listening to. The second part, we uh, go through the entries into room 101 and uh, have a chat about them and confirm their entry into the vault of doom and uh, i chuck in a little bit of a chat about the uh, midwinter minis uh, if you play war games you're a nazi um program uh youtube video that uh, caused a bit of controversy a month or so ago and uh, then finally in the third part it's Askar nora which is the round table questions which we have got from you lovely people out there the listeners so as always sit back it's going to be another long one but it's uh, i hope uh, you get a few laughs out of this one get yourself a cup of tea put your feet up Enjoy brews in the binyard because without further ado, here's an interview. Well, good evening, uh, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are listening to this, and episode 46 of the Yorkshire Gamer podcast, also known as episode 5, I think it is, of uh, brews in the binyard. Um, so. Yeah, it feels like a lifetime, I know. Um, so I thought I would um, do a little ditty before we start, as I always do. Uh, so, summertime, and the living is easy. The fleas are jumping, and the niff from the old nappies is high. Your tea is rich, but your Italian walls is good looking. 
So hush in the cellar and don't you cry. <laughs> One of these mornings, the mold on your wet palette will rise. You will smell the varnish and take to the sky. But till that morning, you're listening to this guff with me, Alex and Sean. So now it's summertime and the painting is easy. Those maggots are squirming and the bread's gone off. But the coffee is mucky and the tea's good looking. So let's un end all this bollocks and start the summertime brews. Apologies to George Gershwin, who is now spinning in his grave. That, that high-pitched whistle you can hear is him spinning. Oh, I've just solved the world's electricity problems. I've put a magnet on him, put a bit of copper wire round his, round his coffin. Like, that was... Anyway. That was some introduction. It was emotional. It was, it was. It was. So it's... It brought a tear to me eye. <laughs> it's, it's time to meet the boys because the boys are here. <laughs> boys to entertain you. Joining me tonight on this biannual podcast World Cup special are the two stalwarts of this podcast. And yes, it's still empty. In the, <laughs> in the brown garden waste bin corner, we have our resident star of the YouTubes. It's Mr. Hendo's Relish 1998, Storm of Steel's very own Alex Sutherland. Hello, Alex. How do Ken? Hey. Um, I'll not spoil the next guest's name by naming him. No, it's a surprise for everyone. <laughs> it's a surprise to me. <laughs> because rummaging amongst the wine bottles in the glass recycling box hoping for a half empty bottle of Shiraz is my next guest his podcast God's Own Scale has risen to the ashes to fly like a phoenix which might explain his slightly burnt collar so please welcome the next king of Mexico it's Sean Clark Buenos dias Buenos dias how are we doing guys? Oh, yeah, that's, can you have you ever heard the sound of one hand clapping? <laughs> yeah, that's the round of applause we've just got. <laughs> yeah, in, in Ripon. Yeah, yeah. Ripon. It's, it's the sound of people turning off. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Do you, off, know, yeah. do you know in, in Ripon they clap louder because they've all got six fingers? Ah, is that right? That's why, that's why rock bands like playing there, you see. <laughs> they get better applause. <laughs> Well, that's that's part of the uh, the audience alienated. Let's see what else we can do tonight. Oh, I, uh, piss, I can't remember who I pissed off last time. It was a, I said somebody was a shit tip. I can't remember where it was. Large streets of the UK, I'm sure. Any, anywhere yeah. outside of Yorkshire, isn't it? Well, we should be all pissed off. Have, have you seen the news today, Alex? You're all right with the show, but have you seen the news today, Alex, about Yorkshire water? They've no, done one of them. They've done one of them fancy adverts, you know, where they fly through the the dales and everything, and, and talk about we're bringing you great water. It's Yorkshire water, but they've used the hillsides in in uh, Derbyshire. <laughs> <laughs> what a set of arse! <laughs> You've got a company oh, called Yorkshire Water. That is, apart from. Bleeds, you've got and Bradford, you've got some really nice scenery. It could just yeah, go up in the up in the dales. You've got half of the country. Yeah, up here. I've seen Happy Valley. I think that's set up there, isn't it? That, that's in um, Skelmersthwaite or something. Yeah, I think it's Todmorden, which is one of those kind of doesn't really know whether it's Yorkshire or Lancashire places. Oh, really? Is it border? Yeah, yeah. We keep kind trying to pass it to each other. No, you have yeah. 
Nobody are. wants it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but now, now it's famous. We'll have it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it is. I think it is currently in Yorkshire. What, I, what I did want to ask Kent was mm. uh, because I, I almost, not quite, but almost feel an honorary Yorkshireman being on a two-thirds yes. Yorkshireman podcast. And my, uh, can I just my... interrupt you there? It's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> My, we, no, no, we, we, the facts don't care about your feelings, Sean. My, it it yeah. doesn't matter. You're never going to be a Yorkshireman. No, <laughs> so my my only knowledge of Yorkshire was really based on um, Last of the Summer Wine. Oh, so I wondered quality. which which characters we were. Who was Compo? Who was Clegg? And who was Foggy? I've 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 always been associated with the Clegg character. Um, from, from from previous with a previous discussion, I've got a, I've got a friend from school who's tall and lanky, um, and he was always the um, tall one because that changed a couple of times, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we, I had another friend who was a bit scruffy and looked like he hadn't had a bath for a month, um, and, and he was always he was always foggy, not foggy, compo, compo. compo. Well, to, just so I can feel part of it, I'm more than willing to take on the role of the scruffy compo. Yeah, yeah you Please can be slum. compo. Sorry? You can be compo. I'll you can be, be Nora Batty if you want. <laughs> well, yeah. it does give me access to Nora Batty, <laughs> doesn't it? Foggy, Foggy Dewhurst was the tall one with the glasses who used to be in the army. Well, he was around for ages, wasn't he? Um, uh, yes. Peter um, Salas, I think his name was, or Salas. No, that was he was Clegg. Yeah, oh, was that was it? Clegg, wasn't it? Yeah, because yeah. he went yeah. on to do um, uh, the voice of Wallace and Gromit, didn't he? And but Foggy was the prison warden, wasn't he? In Porridge, he was. Oh, look at you and your seventies TV knowledge. <laughs> people, <laughs> people have turned this on and they've gone wargaming. <laughs> no, that's again. Again, you can imagine what? somebody, can't you, in book crack Alabama tuning into this and listening to this <laughs> nonsense? Think, what are these idiots talking about? Well, then that's the sound of that's the sound of the off switch right there. It's culture. <laughs> oh, oh, I just want to say, Alex, is that your cat's tail or you're happy to see us? <laughs> bit of both. <laughs> bit of column A, bit of column B. Oh. <laughs> We'll say nothing about pussies. Anyway, moving on, Ken. I'll be, 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 be going to the doctors if mine had that amount of fur. Right? <laughs> mind you, to be fair. Yeah, to, be, to be fair, I'd be joining the circus if it could bend like that as well. Uh, oh, That's for the OnlyFans. Yeah, well, thank, thankfully this is audio only. So uh, I've got a story was, about OnlyFans, but we'll leave. It I was, I was, I was just about to say that people would have to um, look at it, but imagine it on an audio podcast. But please don't. Yeah, don't. You'll need the mind bleach, I think. Yeah, counselling is available from your local NHS. <laughs> is this OnlyFans story? Uh, no, it, no, oh. no. Move on. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sean, God's Own Scale, it's back. Yeah. yeah. With a vengeance. With a vengeance. You've had some awesome guests on. Have I? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, apart from that first. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, I did say I'd reserved episode 51 for you. you. 
but I've, did, I've, mate, got, I? I've got the numbering all mixed up. If oh, you, as you have I just been on 47 or something? Yeah, well, something something along those lines. Oh. But <laughs> more, more interestingly, I've been uh, today has been one of those slow news days at work. Mm. So I did take advantage of listening to a, a podcast and Alex came in me years. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> back to the OnlyFans again. Hey. <laughs> uh, as the guest presenter of the Hobby Sport Group. Which That's I'm right, yeah, yeah. Did that uh, last week. They got oh, that yeah, out pretty good. quick. Yeah, yeah. Really yeah, it was good it. fun. The lads asked me along uh, for their uh, number 100 episode. They clearly uh, didn't trust you, Alex, because they set the questions themselves. They did, <laughs> they did. They did. Didn't I fancy said was... a Jeremy, pa- Jeremy Paxman, did they? <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Um, I did say I was going to throw in a couple of random ones, but I didn't get a chance because they, they put so many together in the first place. <laughs> and they can waffle, can't they? <laughs> yes. So, so you, you you were asking them their questions? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's a good listen. It's a good listen, though. They're two good lads. Yeah, they are. Andy and they Tom. are. They are, they're nice lads, and, uh, and it was good fun. I've told my story, I've told my story, and I'm keeping it. Keeping it. I mean, you know, this this is different, this is not fun, but that was fun. Well, <laughs> Alex, Alex, just, just savour these moments that we're having outside of the basement. Well, that's true. So, yeah, we can see sunlight, can't we? And, well, I've yeah. got some. I've got some news. Yeah. I've I've got some news for you, you guys, and I may as well do it on air now because, um, unfortunately, you're both getting evicted because um, I I don't need any I don't need any more twenty eight mil figures painting. So um, <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting Dave Marshall and and Joe the Wargamer because I need some terrain doing. So, if you could be out by Friday, I, f- I feel a okay. bit offended now. Actually, kind of grown accustomed to the place. Yeah, yeah, the smell, especially. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I missed that. Yeah, I counted oh. the, the drips down the wall from the damp. Oh, the cellar. Mm. <laughs> bit, bit of rat urine. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Wait, least... where are you going to get? Where are you going to get your paintbrushes now from? Your rat hair source has gone, Sean. <laughs> well, looking, judging by uh, whatever poked up on Alex's screen, I'll I'll just use that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, you you get some coverage with that, wouldn't you? Oh, you would. Certainly would. You'd be doing you'd be doing walls. You'd be doing releasing this as a video on YouTube as well, or not? (laughs) No, yeah, I might give that a miss. (laughs) Thankfully, thankfully, you have to pay to record the video. It's Uh, it's a bit like OnlyFans (laughs) in reverse. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, sorry. uh, Yes, Uh, thoroughly enjoyed. Getting back into the seat. Um, I'm I'm overdue an episode, but uh, I've got somebody lined up for. The yeah, next you've had you've had the partisan lads on. Yeah, that was good. Uh, um, trying to think who else you've had on. Oh, Chris Chris Pringle, bloody big battles. Yeah, that was an interesting one. So um, he's an interesting guy with, with a quite a back catalogue of uh, sets of rules he's written. And then obviously Tom from Littles TV and Mark Fastoso from the, the latest yes, hotness yeah. that is on the YouTubes and wow. um, competing with Alex for King of the Tubes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, has, he, um, has he launched his channel yet? Because I think he was just about to launch it when yeah. I listened, listened to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he launched it on, uh, on D-Day. He did, yeah. Quite a lot he of did. content up on there. I thought the, um, the episode with... Uh, the George Lutz uh, 
I'm sure I've said that wrong. Um, the guy from Band of Brothers, Band of Brothers. Or, or the son mm. of the guy from Band of Brothers. Yeah, that was, I thought that was excellent. Mm, just, yeah, it was just, very good. Just remind us what the channel is again, because I've forgotten. Mark's Game Room. Mark's Game Room. All right, cool. I, I did mean to check it out after I listened to your podcast with him, and then I forgot. I mean, <laughs> I, I like to think I, I went quite highbrow, because Mark is an Emmy award-winning film producer. Um, yeah, that's very so, good. That. Um, you know, it sort of tops my grade four CSE in woodwork. <laughs> that's well done, that. I'm impressed. You've got a you've gone a long way for a lad with a grade C, grade four CSE woodwork. <laughs> Obviously, not in the woodwork trade, but well, <laughs> well, I was a wooden top for a while, but oh uh, yeah, 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 that's true, that's true. Anyway, uh, yes. So, thank you, thank you, and thank you, Ken. Uh, public mm. thanks for being the first guest back on. You eased me in gently, as they say. And and uh, I will accept your public apology for stealing my desert war game <laughs> idea. <laughs> I've no idea what was going on, mate. <laughs> I thought. I thought. I've come sure, up with this I'm really sure great I've heard this. Idea. I'm sure I've heard this before. <laughs> And then next episode, bless you, you did apologise, yeah. so I'll let you know. <laughs> uh, but I, I do have to say, Chris Pringle did make me laugh, because he went, um, you can fight the biggest battles ever on a six-foot table in three hours. And I went, I'm out! <laughs> yeah, I, thought, I thought you'd have liked that bit. Yeah, that was, uh, that was like, you know. But, you know, it, it, horses for courses and Ken, all that. We're a broad mm. church. We're a, we Absolutely. are a broad church, mate. I'm glad we've I've got, got it in. I've got it in. That's we are, we are a broad church. And, and I think um, we're all getting broader and broader as we get older as well. Exactly. <laughs> um, how many X's can you have before the L in the T-shirt? Because... <laughs> <laughs> They've run out at Tesco's. <laughs> yeah. They should put age numbers on it, shouldn't they, rather than chest yeah. size? It's just yeah, age. yeah, yeah. There we go. Anyway, talk about toy soldiers. <laughs> Why? Get <laughs> <laughs> me on to cricket in a minute, and oh, <laughs> shocking, shocking. So, Alex Storm of Steel. Then, um, how many zillion <laughs> subscribers are you on now? Uh, I'm, I'm actually closing in on uh, eleven thousand at this point. Eleven thousand. Yeah, yeah. That's a uh, lot of relatives. It is. It is. It's a lot. Uh, I, I, it takes me a long time to set up each of those individual uh, <laughs> <laughs> profiles to, to to like my own stuff. But yeah, you know, it's paying off slowly. <laughs> uh, actually, to be honest, uh, subscribers are going down. I don't know if it's plateaued or not or what. Uh, mm. I don't know. Uh, you get to a point where. Because I always check my analytics and stuff. You do. You, mm. it, it, there was a point where it was really rising, and now it's kind of plateaued a little bit. Still, obviously, getting uh, new subscribers all the time, but I don't know if I don't know what it is to be honest, and I can't figure it out. Uh, I don't know what it, if I'm doing something right or if I'm doing something wrong, uh, you know. But uh, I'm happy enough for where it's at. Uh, it's uh, still earning a bit of ad revenue, which you can't complain at. Mm. Uh, I, the, the only problem is at the moment because. We talked about this just before um, we we started. It's not a problem, but uh, my wife has come back to the UK permanently, so my time for making videos is is a lot lot less than it, it was previously. 
when I could spend all day Saturday doing it. Now, you know, <laughs> there's <laughs> there's a few more th- uh, designs on my time than there were before. But obviously that's for a good reason. But it's uh, it, yeah, it just means I've got you know I've got uh, don't don't panic. I've got enough videos at the moment set up till October, uh, and I've got a plan while she's away in September to record a ton of uh, back recording. Exactly. It's just going to be uh, I'll take some time off work and then just uh, just record a load of stuff. So I've got a load of backup. So it's all right. Uh, it's it's I'm, I'm you know. I'm not. Uh, I'm not worried at the moment, but you never know. There might come a point where things start to run down a little bit. But we'll see. We'll see. She's very supportive of the channel. She's very supportive of the, of the, uh, uh, of me doing it and as a hobby and stuff. So I can't so find yeah. another job in another far flung country, Alex. Absolutely. That's a, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pop. Go on. Over to see you. <laughs> My, 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 my missus is an only child, so and I'm an only child as well, so we're quite happy within you know having our own space. Mm. And she's quite happy to just tell her right bugger off. Mm. <laughs> uh, in fact, I, I'm, um, I've, I've hopefully I've picked up some uh, terrain boards. Um, the only problem is they're in fucking Scotland. Uh, so the, the the I've got a nice price on them. I'm happy with it, but I've got to travel to Scotland. So, but I need her car, you see, because she's got one of these um, planet destroying SUVs, um, which are dreadful until you actually need to carry something. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm trying to be good at the moment, and so I can borrow a car. That could be a boys trip. Yeah, yeah. It's the well. Actually, I'm planning. If I'm, I'm going to go, I'm planning to go next weekend, so I can accidentally drive past Claymore. <laughs> ah, good idea. I've never been to Claymore. That's one of those no, no. bucket list shows that I think yeah. I'd always it's fancy a having one. a look at. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, you had a trip to Lard Island as well, Alex. I did. That's ages ago now. Yeah, April time, yeah. wasn't it? God, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, very nicely. Richard got in touch and uh, invited me down. Uh, so occasionally playing Lardy games does pay off. Uh, all expenses <laughs> paid. It was lovely. Now they uh, they put me up in a lovely hotel in St Albans. Oh, uh, I met up nice. with uh, with Richard and Sid the night before. We had a nice mm. meal and a few drinks and a laugh and a chat, and then um, spent the next day playing a couple of games. Uh, so we played uh, Richard's First World War Chain of Command in the morning which is something he'd kind of written specifically for it. Mm. So I'd, I'd also been badgering him as well for a while. Uh, but he has got a, a chain of command version of First World War. But it's um, this one was more, he's kind of expanded it a little bit. But I don't think he's done anything with it because he's been sat on the Far East handbook yeah. and also uh, What a Cowboy and stuff. So he's, uh, I don't think there's been anything done with it. But uh, we played that. Then we played um, Chain of Command Far East in the afternoon. And I played that with Nick. Nick came across as well. Uh, oh, cool. So we, we had uh, a good game with them and then went out for a meal around St Albans with those guys. And then I went to have a look at Verulanium, the Roman town the next morning, and then buggered off home. Yeah, it was great. Nice. It was really nice. And I so re- really appreciated the fact that they uh, invited me down and uh, and were hospitable, is the word. Well, the the hospitality yeah. wasn't as good as your other trip that you had. He's looking blank now. Mm, trying to think. Been up to York. That was fun. Fucking hell. Uh, is there anywhere else I went? 
Did you leave no, a bad review? I, I went to the butchers and bought you a special pie. You certainly did. And again, <laughs> following on from that, of course, came up to see Ken with Andy Yay! as well. Nice, Dad. Uh, nice that was dad. good as well. When was that? That was um, It was snowy, wasn't it? So that must have been, uh, was it February time? Yeah, it was after. Yeah, it must have been. Wasn't it? It was it was after, after Christmas. Christmas. All, all I can think of is between Christmas and summer brews in the vineyard. That's all I can think. Isn't mm. it? Yeah, yeah. That's, it's that's how that. my it's year a, is planned out. It's a blur in between, isn't it? But yeah, that was great, <laughs> wasn't it? We played uh, O Group. I brought that up. Uh, I think you enjoyed it. I did. There I really, was... I really did enjoy it. Actually, I, um, you know, I, I like my tanks and I like my big tables. Uh, and we had a small table and no tanks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, oh, but I, really, I did really enjoy the game and I did enjoy the mechanics of O Group. And um, it's one of those that you can kind of learn, get more into it um, as time goes by and learn more of it as time goes by. And we've played quite a few games of it down at the club now. Yeah, um, yeah. Obviously with a shitload of tanks, but... Um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> I would I would always think I don't know you you I I've never really played it with that many tanks. Uh, there are a couple mm. of scenarios that have been produced with tanks in mind, obviously that curse can still. Mm. I've just not go around to playing them, but yeah. But I would have thought that it actually slows down a little with tanks with two lots of tanks on the table. I don't know what do you think. Yeah, it it did it does make it because everything's firing at each other and there's always that classic. Thing. It's also always so difficult in a set of World War Two rules to get that like Britscreek effect of moving tanks. Because as soon as you move in any set of rules, you can't hit anything. Mm -hmm. um, but the being hit coming back is is doesn't seem to make a lot of effect. So you tend to take a lot of casualties pushing forward with tanks. Yeah, which yeah. makes you wonder why, if it was that bad in real life, why would anyone do it? Well, Unless you're, yeah. unless you're Russian and then no one cares if you're dead or not. Well, you know, if you read any of the accounts of, uh, of Goodwood and uh, Epsom and stuff mm. like that, the British armour took a right lamping off the Germans uh, until they realised they worked out their tactics and to go in with infantry rather than just put rushing pell-mell in. So mm. they change they change tactics. But what I mean from an O-Group point of view is the, the infantry rules are so simple and streamlined that, you know, you're rolling 2d6 for every section. So... 66 for a, a platoon or whatever whereas with the tanks because you you fire individual shots at individual tanks in it although they're meant to be like five tanks aren't they mm. and there's a lot of chart looking up and i know you love your charts i love a chart you do love a chart there's and not enough there's enough penetration tables in them rules <laughs> and they are particularly they are quite simple because you roll to hit and then you roll to penetrate and that's pretty much it isn't it yeah. it's just two rolls but i still think you've got to look at a chart for the penetration. You can kind of hold it in your head because it, it kind of fits in with the rest of the rules, like seven plus is a, is a save, you know, or a seven plus is a hit or whatever. Uh, but, but yeah, see, I, I just think I would have thought that more tanks just makes it a little bit slower. But as I say, I've never played it with that many tanks on the table anyway. Yeah, I think because we were learning it as well that you kind of didn't really notice whether it made it any slower or not because we were yeah, going it's, it's going to be slow anyway, isn't it? Yeah, yeah probably but, uh, play two rules. Yeah. I've got, Dave, I've got Dave Brown coming on later in the year, so I'll tell him to stop mucking about with quick rules and get some proper <laughs> penetration tables in. <laughs> no, he needs to. See, it's about command, Ken. It's not about penetration. It is. It's always. It's Doesn't... always about penetration. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've lost our monetization oh, God, so long. Ago. <laughs> so, Sean, what have you been? What have you been gaming, mate? What's your? Have you got on the table recently? Um. 
so it's been a little bit of a fallow period uh, mm -hmm. for me, to be honest, just because of work and, and my daughter's activities, really, seems to have taken up a lot of time. Um, I'm not really sure I can show you what oh, I've been doing. Oh, God, he's done some fantasy shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... Oh, oh, my God. What the what's that? I I am going to say, and you might be surprised. Is that an orc boy's war chopper? Death copter. Death copter. Wow. Yeah. Oh my. So, God. so <laughs> there's a little, there's a, a small tale behind this. Um, mm. Where I live in North Shropshire on the North Staffordshire border, um, my nearest town is called Market Drayton which is about three or four miles down the road from where I am and it's it's a typical old market town in the fact that there's not very much there there is a, a small WH Smiths and a Costa but it's mainly secondhand shops and um, pubs but much to my delight and surprise we've had a gaming store open Ooh. called Mighty Malie Games uh, run by a guy called Phil, who I've, I've now become good friends with. Um, he has been running an online business for some time, selling Games Workshop stuff, mm. uh, essentially, uh, and needed some more space. So he found an empty unit in town, and he's now set up this this friendly local gaming store, uh, which has now got a thriving little gaming community attached to it with games nights it's right next to a jules pub um nice uh where they give up the back function room for the gaming night uh, mm. and it feels got quite a few plans there so um it's sort of coincided and oh, gosh i know this isn't a confessional because you would be the last two priests that I would go to to confess my sins you'll be, to. You'll be Hail Mary in for the rest of your life. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. God um, yeah. But uh, due to a bit of a swathe of uh, excitement that uh, has run through the Stoke Club, um, yeah, 40K has, has come back yeah, with a vengeance. So uh, we've been playing a little bit of that, a bit of 40K. And uh, because we are a broad church, and we're, we're all very accepting, yeah. aren't we, of the diversity that comes with the... <laughs> Stop shaking your head. <laughs> uh, so uh, I think more. I think more as a uh, a palate cleanser and a bit of a, a bit of fun um, than a few of us have sort of dived into that and, and consequently supported uh, by doing so supported. Phil at Mighty Millie Games by uh, placing a few orders with him. You, you said you said he's a friend, but he's selling you more Warhammer Forty K stuff. <laughs> and how does that work? Uh, yeah, listen, it's plastic crack. What can I say? Uh, it's it's, it's, like, it's like saying your drug deal is your best mate. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's absolutely real. So I am now surrounded <laughs> by plastic crack from um, from Mighty Millie Games. Um, I think how the, what, what how the what, mighty have fallen. I know what I think. What led to it was, um, I absolutely blitzed through the rest of my Mexican Revolution collection. 
So I've now completed the Mexican Revolution. It's done. Oh my God. All of it. Done. It's been done for about 100 years, on it? <laughs> on my painting table, oh, not, yeah. but oh, it yeah, felt sorry. like it had been there for 100 years. <laughs> um, and because I, I'd, I'd painted virtually nonstop uh, for probably six or seven weeks. And, and when I get going, it's like, it really is, it is a, a real marathon of, of painting uh, to get it done. Um, I, I needed something more whimsical, let's say. Mm. Uh, and uh, what more whimsical can you get than an orc death copter? I'm I'm gobsmacked. You both speechless. Stunned silence. Stunned in silence. I know. And any any cred that I may have had. And <laughs> oh, you know, let's face it, the chances great of things having... you got together. <laughs> Yeah. Have now just been dashed, dashed to the winds. Yeah, let's face it, it been virtually zero. Didn't, didn't you say on the last one or the one before that you were get, you were looking at buying? Excuse me if I get this wrong. The Horus Heresy box <laughs> Horus set. Heresy. I was, but I, I think I, I, yeah, I, I can't can't comment. No comment. Are they, I, are I reckon the... he's got he's probably got a box of Leviathan right behind him that he's hiding. Yeah. Oh, oh, he's dry, he's, oh, he's pulling something down. He's pulling oh, something down. Dear. Describing this for the listeners. And there it is. Oh, my God. <laughs> there it is. There you go. 800 quid. How many 15 mil figures from that, boy? <laughs> 800 quid? Well, what? it what? bought me quite a lot. But, <laughs> but because I bought it from my friendly local gaming store, I made a significant saving. Okay. 600 million uh, games. Okay, for the thick people in, at the back, what what's Leviathan? <laughs> it's Warhammer Forty K reboxed. Well, no, is it is it the little is it the little baby Forty K? Oh no, one? that's coming back, the, isn't the 4K, it? Four K, four K, the little tiny one. <laughs> <laughs> they are coming back, but rebranded, yeah, obviously, epic. slightly bigger than the old Epic. Oh, so it's five K. Uh, eight mil K. It's like it's like it's like you tell you, but with more detail. But I'm look. I'm 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 surrounded by uh, Black Library books. Oh my! God. He's fallen. He We've lost fallen. him. We've lost him. Blood, Blood Bowl. Oh, he's gone. Hellfire. Oh my! Uh, what else? Necromunda. I just keep repeating to myself, everybody's allowed to do what they want. Everyone's allowed to do what they want. Everyone's allowed to do what they want. I hear you on the on the It's just a hobby. It's just a hobby. It's just a hobby. There's a box here just full of old remnants of forty K. Sorry, Warhammer Fantasy. I know. All right, all right, Sean. It's a serious question. How does it play compared to other war games? right. So um my philosophy. On, let me just say, on, I've not played it since uh, Rogue Trader Second Edition, I think, forty k. Yeah. So my philosophy in general with anything like this is that the people that you play with is far more important than the actual game you're playing. Mm-hmm. Very true. You could be playing tiddlywinks as long as you're playing with people that you enjoy spending time with. So that'd be cheaper. With <laughs> with that caveat to one side. Um, we've really enjoyed it. I think that there's a real bad rep around 40k in particular because it can be well. There's there's two things. It can be 
whoever spends the most wins. So if you can afford the biggest toy, then you'll win. Uh, and the other one is that it can encourage some hyper-competitive players mm-hmm. who will look at... There's a, there's a flourishing competitive scene. You know, they have events where 400 people turn up to play Warhammer 40k in a competition over a weekend. They have team events all over the world. Um, the I think it's called the uh, Warhammer 40k Team Championship is coming up in in August and I think there's 32 teams with eight players on each team from all over the world they're all traveling from Australia from the states uh, from the Far East from all over Europe uh, so there is this real high competitive element and I think you need to stay away from that certainly me hmm. I, I've got to stay away from that I've got a group of friends that I role play with as in Dungeons and Dragons nothing uh, just no, nothing, nothing daft or anything. Nothing, nothing daft. No, it's just elves and pixies, mate. You don't, you don't uh, all throw your keys into a bowl or anything. Are you? <laughs> well, that's at the end of the night. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We, pampas we, so, grass outside the house, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, we're all... <laughs> See, I I didn't know about that. I didn't know about that. We we've got pampas grass outside our house, <laughs> and it was there when we moved in, and I didn't know. <laughs> and we <we're> swingers. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I never put but, the two together. <laughs> I wonder why people. I wonder why people in le- leather helmets kept knocking off the door. <laughs> but, no, I don't want any today, love. No <laughs> that that group that I role play with, which is uh, there's seven of us all told, we're all very like minded in how we enjoy a game, and that's the, they're the only people I ever want to play with. Forty k. Because if I play with some of the guys at my club who are, who are into the competitive scene, who can roll dice faster than you can blink, um, I, I'd be lost. But um, it's a nice little sideline, a nice little distraction. Histor- I am still a historical gamer to the core, um, but it, it's been a lovely little sojourn. Yeah, I think I think it's the same in any type of gaming, isn't it? You can have that ultra competitive. Um, Competition gaming in historical war gaming in oh yeah, uh, yeah in flames of war and stuff like that and it's just it's just not my scene. I th- you, know, you can, but from my from what I know, and admittedly my knowledge of the forty k competitive scene isn't massive, but the the competitiveness that you see there. Have you heard the story about the loaded dice at an Element Games competition? Yeah, I, I just saw about saw a video about that just a, uh, a week or so ago. Somebody right. had, had gone to well, the, Sean. I have not. I've not heard it. Right. So, tenth edition Warhammer has literally just landed, um, and like anything that any of these sorts of games, it, it's come out a little bit broken and a little bit biased towards one faction in particular, which is the Eldar. And the Eldar have got some super duper toys that just means they, they can basically win in the first turn. Are they are they space space elves? Space elves for the un, uninitiated. Well done. Ken. There you go. Well done, Ken. Well done. <laughs> look well look done. how pleased he is. Oh, yeah. Well, no. It's, <laughs> it's it's space <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so there's a competition. I think the week after, or maybe two weeks after the edition has launched. Uh, and people have rocked up, and a guy's turned up with an El- super duper Eldar army. Um, but he's also turned up with some special dice 
So um, these dice um, uh, just happened to keep rolling either a six or a one whenever he, he needed to. And those would be the dice he needed. When it, yeah. So he it, it, it basically got found out, I think, after the, at the start of the fourth game, where they've had to roll dice to see who gets the first turn. First turn traditionally being uh, really important, um, uh, particularly for how the Seldar army works. Uh, and somebody's walked past the table as he's uh, rolled a six, his opponent's rolled a six, luckily enough, uh, and he's rolled a six again in the re-roll and, and, and beats his opponent, so he's got the first turn. Uh, and somebody's walked past the table and says, actually, you've, that's happened two or three times now. I'm yeah. a bit unhappy about these dice. So mm. anyway, they call him out on it. And uh, somebody, somebody ran out to go and get some salt from a local shop. Because if you put salt in water and then put loaded dice into it, then it'll, it tends to float uh, towards the loaded number. Anyway, the funny bit about it, which makes it brilliant. <laughs> there is a funny bit, honestly. Uh, the funny bit is that he got called out on it, so he's packed all his toys away. But before anybody could get these dice off him and, and test them to see if they were loaded, mm-hmm. he's disappeared into the toilet and tried to flush them down the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> However, uh, being heavy, they've just sat at the bottom of the pan. <laughs> Uh, and, and they've landed on the six and the one. Oh. <laughs> uh, and, and then he's disappeared. And then somebody's gone into the toilet and said, he's, he's dice in, in the bottom of the store. So Element Games, to their credit, have taken a picture of it and stuck it on the wall as, as a <laughs> salutary lesson. Um, about I, su- I, su- I suppose if it's in the bottom of the toilet, it should be on a one and a two, shouldn't it? Well, <laughs> true. Yeah. Yes. Good, good one, Ken. Yes. But uh, it just it just went to prove the uh, the loadedness of these two dies. Uh, I don't know why I've told you that, but there you go. No, that yeah, was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to I have to hold my hand up and say that I've now got a financial interest in Games Workshop. Um, I do do a do a little bit of dabbling on the stock market. I've, I've bought one. Games well, sure. <laughs> well, they're like a hundred. The they're hundred odd quid. Yeah, the games wow. they are on the way up again. Uh, their latest financial report came out yesterday or the day before, and they are going gangbusters at the minute. They're just making right. money. I bought uh, some. Ho- I bought some Hornby shares, and they were eighteen p each. <laughs> for warlord. They went up one pence that day, which was well, yeah, not bad. Depends how many shares you've got. You know, you can yeah. make something off that if you've got okay. a million of them. Yeah, Games Workshop. So I do have a financial interest in people buying shit now. So <laughs> does that mean get you it? can get into the um, board? Uh, not the board meetings, the shareholder meetings. Oh, I don't know. I might be, but one share you think would be quite a low threshold. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You sit right at the back. So in a big queue, in a big queue, how many shares have you got? Three thousand. I mean, they are bigger. Games Workshop are bigger than some very well-known uh, multinational companies that are based in the UK, aren't they? They yeah. are, but they've yeah. got lots of lots of fingers in lots of pies, haven't they? It's yes. not just yeah. figures. I mean, it's like yeah. it's like you, you've just shown it the Black Library. Yeah, books, there's computer the, games. the computer games, there's the, the channel, there's all kinds of stuff that they do. They've got an Amazon deal, haven't they? Uh, now, Is that right? Which, I don't know. Wasn't production. there supposed to be a film coming out with um, Henry Cavill. Superman Henry guy? Cavill. Henry Cavill. The, so in the, in the financial report, 
that came out a couple of days ago, I think it's said that it's still in development. So I, I have no idea how these things work, but it's it's still on the cards. They always they take a long time to make films. Years, so that means that somebody called James is drawing some cartoons on a piece of paper somewhere in the office. Pretty much. Very, still very in possible. development. Very still in yeah. development, yeah. But well, when you've got Henry Cavill, you've got... Uh, who was the guy who played Hellboy not very successfully? It was in Stranger Things. David Harbour. Hmm. Uh, he's painting stuff. Uh, painting, he's, he's come out as playing Warhammer. And you've got Tom Holland, Spider-Man, who's showing interest in it. And you've got the... Uh, it is that it's no longer this dirty secret. I think um, it never has been a dirty secret to me. Wargaming hasn't, um, but I think when you get p- personalities like them coming out, who've got huge followings mm. across the world, then I think it can only do the whole hobby good. To be honest, well, it's it has you know it's exploded over the last ten, fifteen years. I mean, you know, you got the board game world completely has exploded and you know you've got board game cafes everywhere that kind of geek in inverted commas culture uh things like you mentioned it stranger things was a big thing i guess as well for things like dungeons and dragons yeah and that's got massive as well hasn't it the problem is when things like this get really big like dungeons and dragons people get quite dogmatic about it you know like when dungeons and dragons first invented it's it's a fantasy for people to make up their own worlds within Mm. it's a sandbox but nowadays I sometimes see it on, on Twitter, although I kind of turned off the Dungeons and Dragons hashtags because I got fed up of it. But <laughs> you see you see people arguing over, you know, fantasy creatures and things like that. It's like, you know, it's your game. Just play it how you want to play it. You know, it's it's yeah. just a set of rules to, to do stuff. You don't have to do as it says. You know, there's nobody sitting over your shoulder, but there's a lot of people that think like that. And I think that's probably the problem when things do get a bit more. And that's that's probably like the competitive side of Warhammer, mm. as you were mentioning. You know, people, the more people are into the competitive side of it, the more it gets like somebody rolling loaded dice to try and win a game. Yeah. You know, if it's just if you have a little competition between eight of you at a club, then you're probably all good sports. Yeah. yeah. Mm. If you have a competition when you've got eight hundred people, there is going to be a certain amount of those people who are absolute bastards. Yeah, just and they're win. going to try to win for what, it's however. Just the law of averages, isn't it? Yeah, mm. exactly, exactly. So I think you know, you know, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but I'm just saying I think yeah, you know, there is there's a massive rise of popularity of of geek culture, and Warhammer is certainly leading that in the miniatures realm. Dungeons and Dragons leading it in the role playing realm, uh, and I think you know it, it's good for all the hobby. I guess it filters one, down to other stuff. One thing that's Sorry, Ken, this is just slightly tangential. Yeah, did we actually have a topic tonight, or is this just us chatting? Oh, fucking loads. It's just us chatting, and then we've got... I've got loads of controversial things to talk about, but we're doing all right with this. Let me give you one controversial thing. Let me give you one I controversial mean, thing. I've got pampas grass in my front garden. <laughs> uh, one controversial thing for you. So... And th- this is aimed at YouTubers, not at you, Alex, because you, t- you don't do this. And I don't he's, think... a se- he's a senior YouTuber. <laughs> no, we'll see, we'll think... see if I do this. <laughs> no, no, you, you definitely don't do this. And um, I don't think many historical YouTube channels do. But in the in the game, particularly in the Games Workshop realm of YouTubers, which is huge, you know, you get people with hundreds of thousands of su- subscribers. That, I don't uh, tell me about it. 
that follow uh, games. If you put Games Workshop in your YouTube channel, uh, you'd be on a hundred thousand within mm. a week, Alex. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Makes me but, cookie sick. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but there's been a real trend recently, or it may be that I've only just recognised this trend. But um, they have these negative uh, clickbait headlines that say mm. something like games workshop is doomed and there'll be the presenter with a sad face uh, on on the thumbnail or um what have games workshop done to 40k sad face and the, these youtube channels are released 10 15 minute videos or even an hour long videos where the presenter is talking in the negative about the game uh and it's purely clickbait because mm. people will click on it so oh, what the games workshop done now that's wrong so wrong and you'll see they've got 30 40 50 60 000 views on these videos and that basically they talk about nothing <laughs> they mm. talk about the issues that they come up with well listen they it might be important to them and it might be important to their viewership but I see more and more on my YouTube feed, feed now where you see the thumbnail and there'll be somebody looking shocked or disappointed and this negative headline uh, talking about some element of, of, of the wider hobby, in fact. It, you know, the grain of the hobby or something mm, like that. It's something that's been around for the last few years, actually. I noticed, uh, I've noticed it as well. And yeah, it is a rise. I note um, Troy from Sonic sledgehammer he'd mentioned it on twitter a couple of years ago he was asking why there were so many gurning faces on his youtube uh when he logged that's in exactly, and you're that's right a great description it is well, yeah yeah to, to me they always look like they're in some stage of having a crap <laughs> they're either they're either desperate for a crap <laughs> Or, or they've they, just they, had one. They, or, they've just had, or they've just had one and forgotten to take the trousers off before they've done it. <laughs> We've all been there. That's a sad face. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm there now. Have you, seen, have you seen that? Why do you think I look like this? Have you seen that Poonami, ad, Poonami advert for the... I don't know what yeah. it's for. I just, there's a baby there. Pampers or something. Yeah. <laughs> no, but well, they always look like that. And I, I always think... I mean, you don't do it, Alex. You don't yeah. kind of go... Yeah, yeah, that's and exactly point the to thing things. And, and, and well, the like, thing is, what, what it what it is, what it boils down to is, it's a YouTube algorithm. Mm. The algorithm recognizes human faces, and if you have a human face on a on a thumbnail, people are more likely to click. So if you stick your face on there, and then also with big arrows, and also a clickbaity title, also with a you know Games Workshop logo, somebody's more likely to click on that than they are elsewhere so yeah that's that's what is driving their clicks i mean i notice it with uh when i do my uh bench report hobby updates which i've tried to do weekly but they're less and less so this this time because again going back to what i said about my wife moving back uh i always i kind of half do it a little bit sean so i'm not entirely uh guilt-free of this because i when i do those i i specifically take a screenshot of me holding something up that i'm talking about in the video but i'm not gurning i'm i, I actually not hold quite the same it's not quite the same thing Alex, I don't think. in a way i, I well, understand about putting your face there for the algorithm understand that but you're not putting a doom laden headline are you 
no i'm definitely not no no i don't do that no i'm certainly not doing that yeah uh and no i don't like those kind of uh clickbaity thumbnails so i wouldn't do that but yeah i mean i have used you know my image and i've noticed it uh when i put up a picture of just figures on the um uh, on the thumbnail the views were really really down when it's Mm. a picture of me you know no matter what i'm holding the views are up Really? So it is, you know, it's something you can you can chart and you can yeah. see it happening. So you can see why people do it. But yeah, the the ones where it is just endlessly like fifteen minutes of somebody just slagging off the hobby, it's like, well, why 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 play then? Yeah, yeah. Find another hobby. You do always look though, Alex, as, as if you've had a poo some time ago, <laughs> and you don't need one in, in the near future. You kind of serene I'm, in the poo face. I, I'm I'm rushing through because I can feel it. It's yeah. moving through. Uh, so that's why quick, they're quite sure. I'll say you for like 15 minutes. Ask us a question quick. Right, it's so... not derailed enough yet. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I bother with show notes for this. No, I really don't. no why bother? I really why don't. bother? But we have got something important to do. We have got something important to do this evening. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, and I've done something a bit stupid. And I, um, I have started a World Cup of historical miniatures war games rules, um, which is what could possibly some, go wrong. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Who would have thought that the wargaming community would fail to grasp the basic rules of a simple competition? Uh, anyway, so um, I, I very much enjoy and listen to another podcast called "The Rest Is History." Yes. Um, and the rest is history. Have done some World Cups in the past, uh, like World Cups of British Prime Ministers and uh, World Cups of of gods was quite a good one. I, I enjoyed that one very much. Even though my favourite god Horus didn't make it into the first <laughs> round. Who won? Disappointed. Disappointed. Uh, was it? I think it was that one who flayed people in Mexico. <laughs> Chapa. Oh, okay. Yeah. Make a ch- him. Crowd pleaser. Yeah, bring him <laughs> round for tea. Bring him round for tea. <laughs> Hours of entertainment for all the family. And Auntie Jean's never been the same since she was skinned. <laughs> she can't sit down and don't get any salt near her. Exactly. <laughs> this is this salt intolerant. This Auntie Jean with no skin. <laughs> Oh, anyway, I very much enjoyed it. So I thought I'll do it for War Games. So the way they do it is they have eight seeds and they go straight into round two. And then they um, they ha- they bring in eight others to um, play off uh, against them. But I thought I'll do a public vote to get 16 rule sets. You think this what happens easy? when you get the public involved? 16 rule sets to then play off against each other to have the eight who will then play the seeds. How did that go, Ken? (laughs) Why isn't Chain of Command in? (laughs) Because it's a seed. (laughs) What was the final count of number of rules that went into that? Uh, I don't play any of them. Yeah, I don't play any of them. Well, we fucking had one then. It's a public vote. You nominate them. (laughs) I can't see this one. Anyway, old, wasn't it? Ninety-seven got nominated. Who knew? Who knew it goes that Ninety-seven. Uh, some of, I have to say I'd heard of the majority of them. There was a few I had to look up um, to check the validity. 
Yeah, someone uh, I've never heard of. Uh, so yeah, it's yeah. I like I like the guy who said, uh, "Can I can I vote for my own rules?" <laughs> that's, that's optimistic. Yeah, <laughs> you play One solo. Vote. You play solo. Yeah. The, chan- the chances the of getting of Canada. any anywhere near the top sixteen. <laughs> oh God, yeah, God loves to try yeah. it. D- Dave in Wisconsin. I'm going to vote for his rules. Brilliant, I've heard. <laughs> Oh, Apologies dear, if no. that was you. I've just talked about. No, I think yeah, I think people that I think people know there is a level of humour to everything on this channel. Um, <laughs> they should do by now. Exactly. So to be fair, um, they're probably turned off by now anyway. Yeah. Well, <laughs> two thousand seven hundred votes. Ooh, that's impressive. That's a fucking lot of votes. That is. That is a lot it's of a votes. lot of votes. Two thousand six hundred ninety-nine were me. Yeah, well, the one with Sean, yeah, for, for David Canada's vote for us. Not, not to give the game away, but um, all the all the ones I voted for got knocked out. Yeah. So Furioso didn't make it. Yeah, if the Lord Spurs didn't make it, Flawn Hope didn't make it. AK forty seven got twentieth, I think, didn't it? So it, it did. Yeah, it did, it did very well. It was about five or six votes off getting in. Um, it was very tight around um, that particular sort of 16, 17, 18, 19. Um, and I hope nobody realises that Bill Hooks came 17th and they'll think that I've deliberately put it out. Secret sound. Uh, yeah. I'm sure the, the Bill Hooks hit squad will be back on my uh, emails mm-hmm. before long. Mm-hmm. Um, so the eight seeds that I picked were in the Grand Manor, WRG Ancients, uh, all the versions, uh, Fire and Fury, Chain of Command, Bruce Corey Napoleonics, Black Powder, Charles Grant's The War Game, and Rapid Fire. Now, um, they were based on what I've seen as an influence in the hobby over 45 years, rather than... Because uh, of those, I've played five. I've played one of them quite a lot, and I absolutely hate two of them. Are we allowed to ask well? Silence. <laughs> Silence. I, I I'm, I'm not. I'm not a fan of in the grand manner. I've always, never have been, um, and uh, I'm, I absolutely hate black powder. But that might put people off voting for it, so I didn't say that at the time. So what? Any? I think everyone would pick a different eight seeds. So what do you guys of think about those as seeds? Yeah, I like him because he's got chain of commanding. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's those... win. let's face it, it'll win. <laughs> it wins everything. Uh, yeah. Uh yeah, I think I think your um your decision to make it that broad rather than just mm. going, what do I like? Yeah. Is is a better way of doing it. The things that have probably had the most influence on on how games have been played or mm. the amount of people that are playing them or what's come after them, I think, is an important factor in in, a, in what makes a set of war game rules good mm. inverted commas that's what i think and i think yeah i think you've been if if you've included stuff in there that a you don't like and b you hate mm. you uh, yeah i think that's relatively fair I, I can see i can take black powder for example i can see a lot of people play it a lot of mm-hmm. people have got into the horse and musket period mm-hmm. as a result of it um and it's a very popular rule set mm-hmm. it's the in the grand manner of today really 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I think yeah, I mean, it definitely popularized large Napoleonic games, hasn't it? Yeah, it's brought for, for, it's brought that sure, back, yeah. and you can't you can't argue with that. But but what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to I didn't want to have a controversial comment coming up. Uh, I didn't want to have black powder, pike and shot, and hail Caesar in because effectively they're all the same rule set. Yeah, just with different pictures in. Um, so don't say that. You give the secrets away. Oh no! Emails coming in. I can feel them. I can feel them. <laughs> um, but some people, oh well, it's like an old, old version of rules. Um, but I think if you ever did a a World Cup of World Cup teams, I think Brazil nineteen seventy would be in the semi-finals every single time. So just because they're all sets of rules, I mean Charles Grant's the war game is in there because it was the original. Not the original set of rules. You'd probably go back to Little to H.G. Wells or Craigspiel, but it was the first popular set of rules. Craigspiel is that like Craigslist? Yeah, that's him. Uh, is it? Is it some foreign European thing? Is it Craigspiel? <laughs> Craigspiel. Craigspiel. I'm going to keep calling Craigspiel from now on. Craigspiel. I lose that road. I've got one comment. Yeah, go on. One comment on it. I think for me and. Now you've explained it, it, it's absolutely obvious as to why you picked mm. those eight. Um, Another thing, I didn't want to have like loads of the same thing in there, so I didn't want loads of lardy rules in there. Yeah. Um, uh, I didn't want... Lo I mean, it is mostly World War Two and Napoleonics, but I tried to spread it out a little bit. Yeah, but they are the most popular uh, mm, parts period, of the hobby. Yeah. Without, yeah. Again, without, you know, you can't... Yeah. You can't but I that. think each, each of those rule sets that you've, you've chosen out of those eight um have had uh an impact on the hobby as a whole haven't they mm. at, at one time or another each of those sets of rules have been the in thing the mm -hmm. you know the, the trending uh set of rules i think one the one for me uh which is interesting is fire and fury um mm. because that was i think that was around about 1990 that came out so it's been out over 30 years still being played today but the thing that for me that puts fire and fury in there is that it was probably i stand to be corrected on this but it was probably the first full color rule set mm. with um color pictures in it and uh you know it wasn't a staple bound cardboard thing that's been photocopied in the back of a shop um it so, was very, very well produced, wasn't it? It was, all, it was well produced, and also it was, it was a great game, and it still is. I mm. think there's still huge fans of it. I know there's another edition of it that's come out, and a regimental version. Um, I think the the one controversial bit I would say is that black powder probably should be in there. Uh, sorry, black powder is in there. Bolt action should be in there um, because I wonder whether. I it was lim lim limited to historical rules. <laughs> uh, acknowledged. Uh, but <laughs> I, I, I wonder what, um, I just wonder whether Bolt Action was, is, was that more of a gateway game into historicals when that first came out because it grabbed a lot of the fantasy stroke uh, 40k gamers because very similar sort of... Um, army building type things, the mechanics relatively similar, the same author. Um, so uh, for me, I, I, I 
and listen, it's your list and it's a mm. great list. Um, but uh, the the one I would question would be whether black uh, bolt action should be in there instead of black powder. But that then that would create three World War Two sets. Uh, yeah. And, and I, I did, I did consider bolt action, um, but I felt that rapid fire had got the longevity yeah. Yeah, on, agreed. on yeah. bolt action. Yeah. Um, although, no, inter interestingly, with the the preliminary round voting, um, the most popular sets of the rules that you would probably say at the moment are um, bolt action, flames of war. Um, those kind of crossover games, Team Yankee, that sort of thing, and only, of those, only Bolt Action did anything in the voting. Yeah, yeah, was it three uh, percent, something like that? Yeah, so it uh, it did relatively well. It did yes, relatively yeah, well. Agreed, yeah. But no, yeah, I think that's a great list. Good list, one. Well yeah. Right. So, Alex, have you got your bag handy? I certainly have. Oh, sounds like the proper FA Cup draw list. <laughs> Sean's gonna have some shit in it. He's got he's got a dice. He's telling us. Well, <laughs> excellent. That's a excellent. that's a box of paint just for the special. <laughs> right. I, God knows how this is gonna go, but uh, it's all right. I'm just gonna find my list now. Never drop your ball back into the bag. Never. <laughs> Never ball bag, yeah, ball bag. What was that on? Um, I have no idea. I thought you were just having a senior moment. No, no. Um, one of my colleagues at work, um, a dog handler, you know what they're like, Sean. Yes, um, he used to call everyone ball bags. Um, <laughs> I think he was, he was southern though, so yeah, well, it is common vernacular around these parts as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, ladies and gentlemen, um, bingo posh for a moment. We're going to have the draw for the preliminary round of the Yorkshire Gamer World Cup of Historical War Games rules. Uh, and drawing the home teams from the Storm of Steel War Games YouTube channel uh, will be Alex Sutheran. If you could rattle the shit to the, the, the. Oh! And uh, hopefully, in there, Alex, you've got numbers one to eight. I certainly have. I've actually uh, the, the 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 listeners can't see this, but I've actually got my Arkham Horror tokens oh. uh, from Arkham Horror: The Living Card Game because it goes up to eight, but it's actually minuses, so they're minus one to minus eight. But I thought that's good. We, we, we can we can live with that, and we like we like we like a bit of Arkham card in this. Uh, oh, we do. I just I just wish I'd, I had more time to play it. Oh, oh, that's a problem. Setting the bloody thing up, if nothing else. Anyway, so you want me to pull the first one? Uh, no, no. I'm just going to say, uh, oh. and, and um, Sean will be drawing the away teams, and Sean, oh. Sean has got some method of choosing randomly the numbers nine to sixteen. I'm not quite sure. I can't, can't going quite to do it. can't quite see what Sean is shaking there. And I'm yeah, not, I don't really. He's shaking. I don't want to ask. He's just off camera. He's just off camera. He's shaking we're, his pants. We're back to the OnlyFans again. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so okay, I'm ready. Tie number one, the home team is Alex. Right, it is. I've, I've been waiting all day for this. Minus five. Number five. Minus five. To the strongest. Well, prove it, look. Minus five. Do you see that? Minus five. Minus five. To the strongest will play. 
So I'm assuming I have got no interest in football, so I've got no idea what's happening at the moment. I'm assuming that stays out of the bag. It does, yes. So right. we're we're drawing we're drawing pair we're drawing pairs, Alex. Fucking hell. It's not like we've had an it's not like we've had an FA Cup for 140 years or whatever. And I've managed to ignore every single one. Bradford won it in 1903, 1913, sorry. And then and then all the team went off and got slaughtered in World War One, so we never won it again. Bloody Germans taking our teams, bombing the chippy. So, uh, so we're drawing pairs, Alex. So they will play against each other in okay. a poll, and the highest one will go through. So to play to the strongest, Sean number thirteen. Number thirteen Ooh, is Saga. Is Saga, Saga is one and three to the strongest <laughs> play Saga. Next no, both, both are very popular. I would say though, I think Saga probably has a clincher on that one for popularity. Mm-hmm. It didn't. It was well down the list. It was well down. Thirteenth. Uh, okay. Yeah. The numbers. The clues in the numbers, Ken. Right. This one is eight and eight. Eight. General de Brigade. Sorry, that's minus eight. Dave Brown must have been really happy with that list. He's got loads in. He's got loads. Oh yeah, yeah. Right, it's good rules. I've got to roll it again. Uh, Number ten. Lion rampant. Mm. I only gave a lion rampant the other day, actually. Yeah, I I enjoyed it actually. Yeah, it was good fun. Good fun. They're bringing a they're bringing a, a joint set of rules out with bolt action called rampant action. It's got pampas grass on the it's got pampas grass on the cover. You see that tumbleweed, Alex? <laughs> yes, yeah, huge yeah. amounts of it blowing past. Yeah. Moving quickly on, uh, Alex, uh, the home Somewhere team in the for distance a, of dog bark for, for game three. <laughs> um, next one is seven. Seven. Well, number seven it. is Mortem Eglorium. I never played it. That's a Plastic Soldier Company one, isn't it? The yeah, Simon, Simon Hall, he's been on the podcast in, in the past. Yeah, I've got right. it. Yeah, I've yeah, got yeah. it. I, I quite enjoy it, actually. It's a decent yeah. snap. Not that I'm affecting the rules in any way, in the vote. Uh, we'll we'll play. play. Number nine. Bolt Action. Ooh. Ooh. I fancy Ooh. Bolt Action there. I'm afraid. I think so. I think I fancy that one's chances. So this is people are then going to be voting for these, then are they? Yeah. Uh, the two. Other, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So look, next one up is three. Number three. Number three. General de Arme. Mm-hmm. Mr. Brown again. Another day Brown. We'll play. I think we've we've got a po- we've got a possible we there was a possibility of a Simon Miller Derby. Um actually Dave's Dave's three sets of rules are all in the top eight, so there isn't a chance of them meeting at this early stage. Could be in the semi-final, though. Could be, yeah. Could be in the semi-final. Uh, we'll Sean, play... no, Sean knows what's going on. <laughs> we'll play number 15. <laughs> Thank God one of us does. Number 15 is Men Who Would Be Kings. Mm, that'd be a I was overly impressed by that. We played it. We, uh, we added a random activation uh, at the start of each turn. And uh, uh, we drew, uh, like sharp practice, we drew uh, chips to see who who went first. And it improved the game. But anyway, mm, sorry. Not something, I, not something I would be interested in, with like four figures aside. <laughs> There's a few more than that, but yes, I get you. This is number one. Number, number one, one is Battle Kelly's Eye. 
and Battle Group will play. Number 16. By Fire and Sword. It's a surprise one for me, that is. It, it was, for me. was for me as well. Um, but I have to say, by Fire and Sword, everyone who plays it, it absolutely loves it. Right. They say it's one of the best set of rules going. And it's set in this weird kind of twilight period um, in sort of eastern, northern Europe. Um, but people love it. Yeah, no, well done to it. What, what period is it? Uh, late Renaissance. Oh, okay. Eastern, sort of um, Polish winged hussars and um, right, right. all that sort of stuff. The name rings a bell, but it's probably out of my eye line because it's yeah. not a period I'm particularly interested in. Uh, next one. Six. Hail Caesar. We'll play. Number 12. Four Kingdom Parliament. Mm. Okay, okay. Could be an interesting one, that one. Both big army games. Yeah. Next up for me is number two. He's doing a number two, and that's sharp practice. Yeah. Cracking game. We'll play number 14. Oh, fucking, it's French. Um, Le Art de la Guerre. <laughs> a lot of the guys are the I think, like think they call it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, unsurprisingly, I spelt that incorrectly in the um, <laughs> in, uh, in the uh, original voting, and uh, somebody complained about it, but it's it's got through to the last sixteen. Oh, uh, I, put, I think I put le art de the. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an interesting one that is because you've got a large skirmish game traditionally played in 28 mil up against um the successor to dbm and field of glory is it field of glory the fog it is. Uh, yeah, it's just... yeah the sort of 15 mil competitive game yeah it seems mm. to be very popular with competitions and stuff i have to say and yeah. so play a lot down the club around. i go i go to there's a, yeah. a few lads mm. that play it I think they use their old DBA armies. Uh, sorry, I was just going to say Tim Porter, uh, Mad Axman, uh, a.k.a., uh, is a big proponent of those. Ah, yes, that's yeah, what I've yeah. seen it before. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. And so, then, the, the final, final round, final round. Just Hopefully this has worked out. <laughs> <laughs> should be number four. That is number four, just to prove it. There you, you can see it. Oh, group. Oh, this is what a matchup. What about oh. you? No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Sorry. I've gone too far. Come too Could soon. Number 11. Number 11. Crossfire. Uh, Crossfire against O Group. Wow. Oh, that's a bit of a I know which one I choose one. out of those two. But yeah, oh, both yeah. of those are uh, classics of the genre. Crossfire will. Crossfire is. Um, it's that one with no range no distances. Movement. That's right. You yeah, move turn. until you do something wrong or somebody yeah. shoots at you. Yeah, no turn sequence. It's always Very your clever. turn. Mm-hmm. Always my turn. It's so that, that's, my turn. that's a bit of a granddad of the genre up against the new kid yeah. on the block, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah Just, just like they do on the telly, I'll just go through those again for people. So round one uh, games are To the Strongest versus Saga. General de Brigade versus Lion Rampant. Mortimer Glorium versus Bolt Action. 
General d'Armé versus the men who would be kings, Battle Group versus By Fire and Sword, Hail Caesar versus for King and Parliament, Sharp Practice against La Art de la Guerre. I'll speak French yet. Uh, and finally, O Group versus Crossfire. And uh, those rounds will be played uh, the week commencing uh, Monday, the whatever it is next Monday. 20... <laughs> 21st. 21st, yeah. This will be released on the 21st, and then I'll put the first block of four up for voting uh, then. If you could the do me a favor. 31st. 31st. Well, 31st. Yeah, yeah. going backwards. Um, Alex, could you do me a favor and put your numbers back in your bag? Because we're yep, going to draw the second round. Ooh, the excitement never starts here, does it? So, um, in these are the seeds. I mean, it never ends. Never ends. So, Grand Manor will play against uh, six. The winner of Hail Caesar and for Kingdom Parliament. Okay. W R G Ancients in game two will play against. Oh, is it just me doing this now? Yeah. No, Shawnee. Okay, uh, number eight. The winner of O Group and Crossfire. Okay. Who was playing against them? Uh, WRG Ancients. Okay. All 27 uh... versions. <laughs> uh, number four. four. Well, Fire and Fury will play against the winners of General d'Armée and Men Who Would Be Kings. Nice big one coming up now. Big, big one coming Man up now. United is still in that bag. Mm. <laughs> number three. Uh, number three, Meg or Bolt Action will play Chain of Command. Bolt oh, Action against Chain of Command. That could, that could be an interesting oh one, my that. goodness. Uh, okay, number two. Number two. Oh, this could be interesting as well. Old school versus new. Uh, the winner of General de Brigade and Alliant Rampant will play Bruce Quarry and Napoleonics. Wow. Okay. Old school. Bruce Quarry Napoleonics starts with a thousand votes. Just saying. No. <laughs> Number Just one. The charts. Number one. <laughs> Black Powder will play To the Strongest or Saga. Okay, I've only got two in my bag now. Next one up is number seven. Number seven. Number seven. Uh, Sharp Practice or L'Art de la Guerre will play Charles Grant's The War Game. Okay. Oh, Old school. Oh, oh, we're going to school. New school. We've, got a crack, we've got a cracking one. We've got a cracking Last one. Last one. I'll tell you what it is. The number is number five. Rapid Fire will play Battle Group or... By fire and sword. Right. Interesting. Rapid, interesting matchup there. Rapid fire versus battle group would be a that would be an interesting one. That would be. I'm not right enough by fire and sword yet, but mm -hmm. I like the idea of these uh, these new kids on the block up against some of the old, the old school traditional. Ones. Yeah. Yeah. We'll so see what happens when you've whittled it down to the last. The, the the final winner of everything because mm. obviously this is what we're going towards isn't it so yeah. everything else so does that mean we all have to burn all the rules that we've got that are that winner and not yeah. play them anymore yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah the way it definitely. works yeah okay um the prize is fuck all um <laughs> yeah really i tell you what if, if bolt action and chain of command end up going head to head that would be very interesting 
I'm going to call it. I'm going to say Bolt Action will win because Ooh. of popularity. But it, it, it's always going to be. I mean, there are, there are, yeah, there are there are certain groups who will vote on block if they see there's mm. a there's a, a competition, a competition for going. Yeah. Um, but then you've got to kind of think of of who my audience are, mm. um, and True whether, enough. yeah, how they game you know most of the most of the people who listen to my stuff and what follow my stuff do are older generation doing big games so we'll, yeah we'll that yeah the, the voting as well be interesting to I see think that's true so, uh, those two rules i would say that probably bolt action is more uh played by younger players hmm. fresh out of warhammer like sean or <laughs> a chain of command is more of a, a, a an older Mature, mature thinking man. Like me, for example. I think it depends, Ken, also, because you, you have put the poll across quite a few different Facebook groups, haven't you? Mm. So that I think that will impact quite a lot because yeah. who, who, who frequents those groups? So I don't know if it went up on the plastic crack. It did, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, and then hobby support group who we've already mentioned and, and all these popular places where people gather then i think that's going to be a really interesting look didn't put it in a storm of steel group though did he did i not I think, <laughs> I, i'm always worried about spamming your guys groups no spam spam away. spam away spam away yeah i don't want to put put me votes where they aren't wanted no please do stick it in there uh, at least for do. the next round anyway i will do uh, and then just to explain for the listeners that after round two um going into the quarterfinals it will be uh the traditional way of um working these things out in seeds so one will play eight two will play seven three will play six four will play five the winner going through and then one will play four etc so there are no more there are no more draws and if you really want to you can work out the ladder of how it will go and who yep. will meet, uh, which uh, I will do at some stage. Um, so um, we're well, hour and eighteen in, and we're just coming up to the end of part one. Um, so, Sean, have you got a Mexican corner? <laughs> you could have prepared me for Mexican corner, <laughs> but did you know? <laughs> Did you, did you know that during the Mexican Revolution, the first constitution was written? And it was a very progressive constitution, far yeah. more than most people would imagine for Mexico. Mm. So mm. You, there was universal male suffrage, oh. which I find fascinating. Women's rights were... I've, I've, got, I've got suffrage right now. Just oh, listening you, to you two. Are you, are you ready to do one of them poo faces for your videos? <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I think most people don't really appreciate. That uh, Mexico, during that period of tumult, tumult, is that the right word? And, uh, and, 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 and infighting and, and conflict and war, they mm. managed to... Uh, free and, and give the vote to uh, the everybody to well to every male, um, mm. which uh, was uh, I, th I thought was fascinating. Are, are you still awake, guys? Sorry, 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's still. <laughs> God. I liked it more when you were talking about 40k. Yeah. I liked it. I, I liked it when I got abducted by aliens in the last one. <laughs> Excellent. Right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back in a minute. Right, so uh, part two. Uh, traditionally, <laughs> we've done this for so long. Are we back? Um, this, we're back. We're back. We never went away in real terms. Uh, we we're just discussing a bit of uh, intercontinental arsonry. <laughs> that, is, that, is that a word? I don't, I don't know what 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 is the word? If not, for, it should be. What is the arson. word for arson? Re. Arson. Yeah. What is arson the word for about? doing arson? Arsonry. To you arson. an arsoner? It's an not arson. a verb, is it? Arson. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> uh, this is the bit where we go through the room one at one entrance um, and tear them to pieces. The last one after our show uh, at Christmas was Henry Hyde, uh, and he he came up with accuracy nerds. Oh, I quite like being accurate. I've got thoughts on this. I'll let Alex go first. E- expand a little because I can't remember. I have listened to to Henry's. Uh... One by, you know, it's been a while since I listened. He was to kind it, of, so he was kind of having a go. At, he was kind of, at, he was on one that night. Oh, he was on one. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. The famous, the, the famous mud <laughs> the, the rant. rant. Yeah, <laughs> bless him, bless him. Yeah, yeah. He, he was on about people who were who were deadly serious about the accuracy of the models and and the accuracy of the games, etc. Um, I can certainly see um, some of the points on that. Yeah, um, I, I I strive for accuracy, mm. but I don't expect it in somebody else. I mean, I'd prefer I'd prefer to play a game that is accurate. But at the end of the day, we're pushing toy soldiers about, so you can only mm. have a certain amount of accuracy within these things. And it, and, and I try that I have certain sacred cows. For example, the First World War. I'm very precious about it. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever seen any of my reviews of other sets of rules about the First World War. Uh, I'm very, very much into the accuracy of it because it's a it's a, a period that is kind of thrown together sometimes by rules writers who've like read a couple of Wikipedia pages on the First World War and then put you know twelve figures in every section. It's like no, that's not how it worked. That's well, not what they did. Do you not get most of your information from American podcasts? Uh, yeah, I mean that is a primary source, and it's it's probably the best primary yeah. source for that. But when it comes to so I mean, like for example, you know, I've I'm, I'm, I've just finished painting a lot of French First World War figures, and I've spent the last few nights looking at photographs of uh, uniforms and paintings of uniforms to try to get the most accurate I can and working out what bits and pieces are. So I have a certain level of accuracy that I'm trying to achieve. Nobody, but nobody will notice it apart from me because they're 15 millimeter. And if you mm-hmm. ever see any detail on 15 millimeter stuff from three foot away, mm-hmm. when it's somebody else's figures, but I know it's been done. So personally, I'm happy to have that level of accuracy. If somebody turns up with something that's slightly pain, I don't know. Eh, I prefer I prefer to play a game where everything looks in inverted commas accurate as a, as accurate mm-hmm. as a 15 millimeter figure can mm-hmm. look. Um, 
But you wouldn't, sm- you wouldn't smash the table up if somebody had no, got the no, face no, and no, colours wrong. No, certainly would not. And I wouldn't, I don't mind, and I don't really care if somebody else wants to do it in their own games. That's up to them. You know, I do it for my stuff, but I know that you know it, there's also I've cut corners here and there. However, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a house like a building that's got. Uh, I was just painting one recently. It's got a stellar Artois advert on the side, and have that in rural Russia, for mm. example. I would have a Russian-style house because that's the game we're playing. So, when it comes to accuracy, yes, for the most part, but I am happy to let things go as well uh, for the sake of a game. Does that answer your question? It's yeah. a fluffy, fluffy answer. If somebody I, turned, I, if somebody turned up with. Uh, a squadron of My Little Pony cavalry. <laughs> Would that and, be were, too... trying to ex- ex- explain to me that there were German Uhlans from 1914? Yeah, yeah. I'd probably say, eh, could you have just not bought some Peter Pig ones? <laughs> it's not like they don't sell them. <laughs> I just done a little bit of research. Yeah. You know, I, 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 uh, we've said it before. It's that Zen, uh, the, the, the Zen diagram. No, the, the Venn diagram of war yeah, yeah. The Zen diagram. It's very different. Uh, the Venn diagram of, of war gaming. It's like you know, are you a historian? Are you are you a painter? Are you a, and and I, you know, I solidly come down definitely within the historian parts of it, and I'm interested in history, so I want my historical games to be accurate yeah. to a certain extent. If somebody on the next table over is playing with a load of grey plastic figures. Uh, that are proxied in for something else. Crack on. Mm. I wouldn't do it, but you do it. Mm. Don't bother me. Sean, you were going to slag somebody off? Sorry, <laughs> give us your opinion. <laughs> give us your opinion. Um, <laughs> so, uh, my, my most vivid recollection of this, of, of pedantry, really. Pedantry? Uh, of me being... That's a good word. The, the pedant's yeah. revolt. Yeah. You uh, see, I, when I sorry, Sean, I, when I when I put this on my bl- on my blog or anywhere, I always put pendant rather than pedant, <laughs> and then <laughs> just to pick the pedants, uh, up. and then the pedants pick up that I've spelled it wrong, and they just don't get it they, yeah. at all. Um, would sorry, be Sean. sorry, no, Sean. no, 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 and similar to Alex with the First World War, the American Civil War is is one where um, I would die on a hill defending the accuracy of uh, the uniforms. And mm-hmm. I appreciate that you're talking about one of the most drab-looking 19th century conflicts <laughs> ever. Um, but Blue, it is, gray. it's an undeniable, <laughs> undeniable fact. I'm talking more about the cut of the coat as opposed to the color. That um, the Confederacy typically wore the shell jacket, which is the short, mm jacket that's stopped at the waist and the union would wear the Lero style yes <laughs> well you might say that i couldn't possibly <laughs> um and the union would typically wear the sack coat which was below the waist which went below the waist it wasn't quite a frock coat but um so when the perrys released that first set of Amer- plastic american civil war figures which had sack coats and shell jackets mixed in and I saw people painting a Union unit using both figures or Confederate units using both figures. That really grinded my gears. Um, I would never, ever say to anybody who turned up with a fully painted army and said, look at my army, I would never say to them, well, that's wrong. Because 
that's not my place to do. It's their enjoyment, mm. it's their hobby. Um, so I, I'm, I'm absolutely with Henry on that. And also everything, that uh, I echo everything Alex has just said. But my personal axe to grind would be on that point. In other respects, whether it's a Panzer for whatever letter or a Panzer for whatever letter, I wouldn't have the faintest idea. So a Panzer four is a Panzer four to me. Okay, a long or a short barrel, a, a, mm. you know, maybe. Um, but whether it's a F or a H or what, whatever the designation was, I, I wouldn't bother. But American Civil War is the one where I would draw my line. Um, but I would never, ever criticize anybody who turned up with um, an incorrectly uh, coated American Civil War infantryman. I, th I think I think everyone has the limits with it, don't they? With the accuracy side of things, um, I like accuracy and I like to do my stuff as as best I can. But then I'll put up a picture of Prince Eugen. It took me three months to finish, and somebody goes, "Oh, you've got the wrong radar type for that particular um, camouflage scheme." Yeah. yeah. I, uh, what I think it is 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 You've mentioned it there, Sean, in that they've released a box of figures which you could perceive as being inaccurate. I think that therein lies the problem. A rather uh, popular uh, plastic figure manufacturer has recently released a set of First World War British figures and hired, I have a great deal of problem with them because... I'm not going to mention them by name, but you probably know, you probably can work out who it is because there's not that many of them. Uh, there's no rifle grenades in the set, mm. not a single one. And they made up a quarter of the, uh, of the platoon. So to me, from a point of view of a figure manufacturer, now somebody painting the uniform incorrectly is a different thing to a figure manufacturer getting the uniform incorrect because you would have thought that they have done the research in the first place. Yeah. Uh, and somebody, you know, you, 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 like you say, at the end of the day, it's, it's your hobby to paint however you want to paint. So if you want to paint your, you know, your, your First World War figures in pink, then crack on. Uh, but as long as those figures manufacturers are paying attention to the fine details before those things come out, and I think therein lies the problem with the accuracy. Mm. Not so much the individual who's painted it, it's the company who's done it before. And to sing their praise as Plastic Soldier Company, they I think their first release was, I think it was a T-34 and there was something wrong with it. And people pointed it out straight away when they first released it. So they recalled all that had been sent out, scrapped them all, remoulded it, re-jigged it, and then, then re-released -re it. And I think, you know, that deserves praise because mm. instead of just going, ah, oh, should all be idiots, you know, they, they've actually... They've they've fallen on their sword there and 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 taken it on themselves to to do something about it when it's been pointed out to them. So yeah, I think you know yeah, accuracy when it's somebody painting their own stuff don't matter when it's uh, when it's a, a manufacturer who's got something completely wrong and ignores it despite being told about it then that's a different thing entirely. It's a deal breaker, mm. isn't it? Though? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, you say that you're paying 
for them to do the research, aren't you? Absolutely, absolutely. To get it right. And if you make a mistake, uh, I mean, some sometimes people will go, oh, this is wrong or that's wrong or something I've done. And it's it, it's the figure itself rather mm. than the painting. Yeah. And I always mm -hmm. just say, I'm the dumb painter. I just paint them. Simple as that. Simple as that. So uh, that was Henry. Uh, my next guest was Martin Kelly from the USA. We talked about big games and Historicon and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and his pet hate was overcrowded tables. Now, I am guilty of this on occasion when I've painted loads of figures and I've got, I put them all on the table. Oh, and I'm sure everyone has at some stage. Yeah. But when there's oh, ab yeah. absolutely no room to manoeuvre whatsoever. There's a balance, isn't there? I think because, mm. and I th certainly think the smaller in scale you go, the more important the scenery becomes. But uh, there's mm. got to be a balance, isn't there, between the figures on the, particularly if you're doing a demonstration game as such, um, at, at a show. There's a balance between the number of figures that you have on the table and the scenery to get the overall look. Um, but yeah, that the idea of wall-to-wall -wall tanks or um, f no f no space on the flanks is is the typical one, isn't it? Where I remember years and years ago, one of the best display games I ever saw of Blenheim uh, at the Reading show, I think it was. It, it was wonderful, but from one end of a 24, 24 foot table to the other end of the twenty four foot table was just ranks and ranks of infantry and nowhere to move now as a mm. display game i suppose that sorry a display piece wasn't a game as a display piece that's fine but for a game yeah you need uh you need space well you if it's if your game's like that you may as well just move everything to within firing range and roll your dice yeah. aren't you because all they're going to do is just walk forward anyway yeah and so so there's no maneuvering yeah yeah and and room to deploy as well is quite often a problem with like the, the large the large games mm. um you know when you put a load of stuff on at the back in column you think oh, i've got a shitload of room here and then you put a couple of units out in line and it's like oh <laughs> lord no. where, where's anything gonna fit where's my guns going now <laughs> oh, oh no <laughs> or you set your guns up and then you put a unit out in line and it just covers the front Excuse of them and it's oh i suppose yeah. that's mitigated a little bit ken is it and i've i've never been to the war games holiday center all played on that sort of setup where you've got three separate tables where mm. you've got the reserve tables and then the main action table is that mitigated a little bit by it, it gives you a lot more room and it gives you a lot of um more space to deploy in because you deploy in further back um, you know, you will normally have two gaming tables in the middle and then reserve tables on the back. Yeah. So you've got more, your stuff comes on on the reserve table and then you've got time to put it how you want it before you move it onto the actual gaming table. Um, and sometimes the skill is in getting that right before you go forward. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I, I, having depth as well as width, young lady, is uh, is very important. Is that similar to girth? It is, yes. Um, just so clear. Uh, only less trouble for us. Uh, right. Uh, the next one, uh, my good mate Steve Shan, uh, he put forward one of my absolute pet hates, and I'm so glad he said it, table clutter. In what? Uh, terrain or tokens? So two just shit. Fucking coffee, 
Oh, Steve your stuff. Cans. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Try and keep that crap tokens, off the table if you can. Half read copies of Breeders' Wives. It's just <laughs> constant. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much against tokens on tables. Mm. I don't like a lot of tokens. Or, you know, if you if a game does have tokens, try to make them look as, as to match the game as much as possible. You know, like uh, casualties and things. But yeah, stuff like having empty cans and, uh, and crisp packets and stuff like that all over the table. Nah. If it's functional and part that. of the game, fair enough. Yeah, but yeah. If it's some random copy of the Daily Mirror, then. Yeah, no, get it off the table. Shocking. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a real bug. It's a bugbear for me, especially. Um, at the club, at my, at my club, people have cans of pop on the table, mm. and you're just waiting for that table to get knocked, and then it spills over the mat. That's it, isn't it? Just yeah, um, one one clumsy hand, and it's one and clumsy it's hand, and it's over. Um, so not only is doesn't it look very good, but it's also hazardous to that person's health, actually. Mm. <laughs> my reaction would be <laughs> uh, somewhat, yeah, somewhat violent um yeah it's even even uh lots of dice just scattered all over the table where people have thrown the dice gather the like dice it. up and and, yeah. and put them together to one side don't leave them just scattered all over the place really yeah i don't like that at all that's why i use di uh, dice trays these days yeah dice because... trays are perfect aren't they but the thing is, what I do is when I take games down to the club and I get quite a few people playing, I hand out the dice trays and I, I put them, you know, 20 dice in or whatever I think they'll need. And people don't roll them in the dice tray. They just use them to hold the dice. Yeah, yeah. It's like, what? All the time. <laughs> roll it next to the dice tray. What? Yeah. <laughs> I need like a little electric fence around it so you can't get the hand. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, I I don't like having dice everywhere. I you know if if somebody else rolled them, I'll I'll quickly tidy them up. You seen uh, you see some games at shows that are absolutely fantastic, and they've clearly spent thousands of pounds on the train, and it's just covered in fast play sheets and <laughs> um, and um, casualty rosters yeah. and stuff. And it's like yeah, can't again, see all uh, this brilliant table that you've done at a club game. That's fine because yeah. you're, you're using them, but yes, I think on a display table. Have a separate table for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Have either of you played uh, To the Strongest or for King and Parliament by Simon Miller? I haven't played. I've got. I've won, won a copy. Of To the Strongest. I, I really like both sets of rules, particularly uh, because it's the gridded element to it. I'm, I'm a big mm. fan of the grids. You're a, you're a grid man. I'm a, I'm a grid man. But, I like um, grids as well. Yeah. There's yeah. no argument with grids, is there? No, no exactly. And it doesn't have to look like a grid. You can make the table look really very nice and the, mm -hmm. the grid markings can be very unobtrusive. However, yeah, however, with those games... People, let me just say, people always say, oh, you if you move diagonally, then you're moving twice. You're not actually, because it's a Pythagorean. It's a 1.42 <laughs> is how far you're moving. So I if think you're, you'll find. <laughs> so if your square is one across the top and one down the side, like <laughs> one metre... Across the middle is 1.42, actually. Sorry, you will sorry. find. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there ends the Open University Level 1 beginner's maths. Uh, so, so my point about those rules, the great 
the great mechanics and, and and quite groundbreaking in some aspects. However, when I've seen the games put on at shows, those playing cards that they stack behind the units just really um, pulls Take me out of it. that immersion uh, yeah. of, of the game. They're only on for a certain amount of time. Uh, you know, they pull them away, I think, at the end of the turn or whatever. But that you do see unit after unit after unit with a pile of cards behind it. And it, mm. it just takes away the immersion from me. I think you can play a variant where you use a D10. Uh, so I, th- I think that probably works better from an aesthetic point of view. I was thinking um, about this the other day. I don't like games that use normal playing cards as mm. part of the mechanic. And there's a lot of games that do. Now, I've played games that I do enjoy with the, that use it, for of course, but I, in general, I don't like it because exactly what you just said there, I, it takes me out of the game. Yeah. I'd prefer to have, even if it's just like a set of cards that just have one to ten on it, but done in a style that suits the game. Yeah. Yeah. Not, you know, yeah. one to, to, to Jack, Queen, King. Mm. Just a yeah. typical set of... Or, for example, if that, that that one, for example, I would probably uh, have a set of cards produced that look like they're from the 16th century. Yeah. yeah. You know, so you it's keeping you within the idea of the it, game. It just, it's the it's theme, something that just it? takes me out. Yeah, the theme of it. And it's just something that takes me out, and I don't like using them. Um, I'd, I'd rather have... A deck of cards that that fits that uh, the period. So yeah, that takes me out as well. Yeah. I wonder if you could use the um, serial killer trop, top trumps that I've got. Could <laughs> <laughs> that work? I've not seen the categories uh, for that. Je- yeah. <laughs> Have we not seen it? It's awesome. Yeah, Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> Laugh a minute, that would be, wouldn't it? After a dinner party. <laughs> <laughs> after a few after a few drinks it is but i'm pretty sure you'd lose your job <laughs> <laughs> but it's real it's real it's uh, they are uh kill, serial killer top trumps are real can't believe it yeah get, get, get that one uh george nafziger uh bless him who came on um he he's he put in somebody moans and cries when they roll the one <laughs> What are the chances of that? <laughs> I think we all do, and I think everybody punches the air when they roll a six, if you need a six, or if you need a one. Uh, but yeah, I think I listened, uh, I, I enjoyed uh, the George Nafsiger one, because it was interesting to hear his take on things, because you never hear of him on anything apart from his books. I didn't know he was alive. You know, I, no, I didn't. Well, to be fair, that's what he said to me. He said, <laughs> most people think I'm dead. <laughs> he, was a, he was a lovely, lovely guy. Very, very old yeah. school. Very, very old mm. school. But, uh, yeah, I, mean, I really came across in the interview. I really enjoyed it. It was a nice, yeah, it was, it was it a nice, was, interesting I'm one. So, I'm so glad he did it. You know, you know yeah. when you, say, you send an email off going, never going to hear it. Never going to happen, yeah. Does Hi, he Ken, even read it's George here. <laughs> Look, it's come on the show. Oh. <laughs> Oh, oh God! I've got to think of some questions now. Yeah. I think in that ve- I think in that vein, as opposed to the the rolling of the one, uh, it's more people who will slap dice across the table in temper. And yeah. I've seen mm. and played with people who will do that. Mm. Um, and again, there's there's degrees, aren't there? So somebody who bemoans rolling a one in a jovial manner, say, oh, my bloody bad luck again. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. have a laugh together about it. 
But somebody who's really pissed off, then mm. I think they're probably taking the game a bit too seriously. Yeah, having an instant reaction that is negative or positive, but then quickly moving on from it is mm. fine. Because yeah. you do, you know, you're in the moment and it's like, oh, shit, you know, yeah. or yay. Uh, but somebody two turns later is going, oh, if I'd not, if I'd not rolled that one, if I, it's like, move on, come on. My, my, philosoph- my philosophy is that, and I'm sure you're both the same, That, and I, I mentioned it earlier, actually, it's the most important thing is the people you play with. But mm-hmm. a game is a social contract, and I believe that I've got a responsibility to try and make the other person enjoy the game as much as the other way around. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, if, yeah. If, they're, if I'm throwing my dice around in bad temper or swearing because I've rolled a one, then how does the other person feel about that? They're, they're going to feel mm. pretty shitty themselves, aren't they? That And, you know, a little bit awkward about it. So, And I've been in that situation. Uh, and I think once or twice I've, I've done it myself where uh, my um, poor dice rolling has led to me being frustrated and usually something else that actually outside of the game or that's happened in the week that's put me in a bad mood and then my dice mm. don't go the way I want and I, I, so I think once or twice I've fallen into that trap myself so I'm not claiming to be all pious about it but um, it is a social contract and we, we have responsibility mm. towards the other person to make sure they enjoy, enjoy the game as much as we do. Some, yeah, sometimes journey, sometime right. your, peeps, yeah. your opponent rolling shit dice constantly or you rolling shit dice constantly becomes part of the entertainment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, I'll tend to slam my head into the table, which is quite, which is quite dangerous with ninety-six figure pike blocks around. Oh my god! <laughs> come up, come back up with a <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah it uh, is. I think it's just making a joke of it. Somebody is losing, you know, and just making them feel still part of the game, even though. And then, like you know, the next if you're umpiring a game, for example, I've done that quite a few times at the, at the club. And if somebody is rolling shit dice, because it does happen, you know, just go, "Oh come on, this is gonna, this one's gonna be for you this yeah. time," you know, just like big them up a little bit before, yeah, exactly. so yeah. they don't yeah. feel so bad if it is done. And yeah, like you say, it's a social contract. You're there to have fun. They're there to have fun. You know. It's not an 800-member tournament game of 40k, <laughs> which I'm sure you'll be playing soon enough anyway, Sean. Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah, I'll be there. Mate, yeah. <laughs> you'll be telling us all about your trips to the Bug Cafe or whatever it is. Bugman's Bar. Bugman's Bar. I know bits of it because my lad does a bit of 40k. It's, it's just great breakfast, mate. I mean, it's one of the best breakfasts you'll ever get. Uh, yeah, I work in the Yorkshire Dales, mate, and it isn't. It really no struggle. I could take you to a thousand farm yeah. shops who have better yeah, breakfast. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> you can you, you hey, normally lads, eat, you, norm, you normally eat in the thing that you were petting in the, in the petting zoo the day before. Yeah. Uh, Paul Thompson of Early War Miniatures, lovely guy. Paul's that was great. That was brilliant. Yeah, really, really enjoyed that. Uh, really good episode. That was uh, his um, stories of um, electronic submarines and um, <laughs> <That was great>. <laughs> firing <laughs> firing torpedoes. Uh, uh, that was really good. Amazing. Uh, uh, and uh, meeting the uh, the former U boat commander uh, <laughs> was very good. Um, but he came up with dice droppers, um, and uh, I have seen this. Um, I didn't really start um, getting annoyed about it until Paul mentioned it, to be fair. Uh, but these people just kind of like drop the dice from 
like zero inches. You know, mm. and they've checked it in the hand before it and then drop it. Yeah, yeah a friend of mine used to do this when we were kids, when we were like 13, 14, and we were, mm. you know, that's when back when I was playing 40k, and he would literally get the dice on the number he wanted and just put it on the table. Yeah. I was six again, Paul. Oh, that's amazing, isn't it? You know, <laughs> and yeah, I, I don't think, I, I can't remember if I've seen anyone doing it since being an adult, but yes, I would. Yeah. I would, I, I've never seen anyone after the second one. I'd insist yeah, that they I've never seen from. anyone doing it obviously like that, but I've seen people kind of really drop the dice from a very, very low height, and I would imagine yeah. that that will be in an attempt to increase to the percentages rather than yeah. guarantee. Um, but yeah, have you um, have you ever seen people do the? It's very similar and related to the drop. Is is like the little flip? So it's almost out the back of the hand. As though it, the dice won't roll, it'll just land on the face. And if, that, yes, I have seen that on yeah. occasion. Is that like that nobody puts the salt on the steak? Have <laughs> <laughs> you not seen that? Dice Bay. Yeah. Salt, salt, salt Bay or whatever it's called. Yeah, Salt Bay. Dice Bay. Yeah, no. do a Dice Bay. No, no, no. I'm not <laughs> but it, it's sort of almost out the back, like a nonchalant flick of that of the wrist and, really, yeah. and, and the dice just sort of lands on on one face and doesn't it's got to roll hasn't it you've got to shake got to it and roll yeah. it but it can't roll like a round dice when it doesn't stop <laughs> or scatter or figures all over the place yeah or weighted People, dice or weighted or dice, weighted dice. Uh, well certainly not those ones that element found in the bottom of the toilet <laughs> if they try and sell you two weighted dice um people who, who have a hand say 10 dice and just scatter them across the table to the four corners that's yeah that's yeah. that is a bit annoying again that goes back to having dice trays yeah there's Roll a whole lot of around dice rolling isn't there yeah, yeah in fact we could do an entire podcast on it i think we could Probably could, probably could. Yeah, probably could. That'll be Christmas's version. Yeah, Christmas, for the Christmas, Christmas dice podcast. Looking people to turn it off already. We're not even recording it. Uh, Pete Berry, Uh, I have to say, Pete, well done. Uh, Units where all figures are doing something different. Yeah. Well, Uh, and I didn't really think about this until he said that you have a drill manual for a reason, so that you're all doing the same thing when you load in or whatever and so um when you've got people firing and loading next to each other would it work that way i don't know well, i'm guilty of it i'm guilty flank. of it you're talking about rank and flank units there as opposed to world war ii or something because obviously yeah. you want diversity yeah. there but yeah, so you've really got units the series, i think yeah you've got rank and flank units of you can where people are doing stuff differently Oh yeah, because I like I like to have that diorama feel on each yeah. of my bases. Mm. Um, so, but then once you've gone from a norm, you would have a system where the, you would rank fire or fire in platoons. But eventually, you would get to the stage where it would be fire at will. Yeah, and then everybody yeah, else would be will. doing something, and you would be firing at your yeah. own speed. Uh, yeah, I think yes. It depends on what point in the in the battle, and and, and also I I like those uh, marching uh, you know columns where everybody's doing something slightly different because yeah. when you're marching in column, you're not all marching in perfect step. You would, especially on a battlefield when there's all sorts of stuff going off around you, you would just be walking forward at you know 
a regular pace, but trying to keep up with your mates and also hanging onto your rifle or your musket or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I get what he means. Yes. If you're, I think, depending on the period. Hmm. I think I think he was very much coming from English Civil War, where he'd done yeah, he was, a lot I of think. reenactment, and you know they have that list of orders: hmm. load your python and split your spontoon and, and whatever it is they do. <laughs> um, python. I was wondering where we were going. <laughs> Pampas grass, mate. Anyway, um, but on the, on that point though, so after the give fire orders, but once once they've pulled the trigger then all the men are going to be in slightly different positions, aren't they? And so I think a, a good example... But then that's why me, you have a sergeant at arms shouting out that everybody load, everybody aim, everybody fire. But he, I, I, I wasn't there. I wasn't there, so I don't know for <laughs> certain. But uh, <laughs> I'm fairly sure they weren't like synchronised swimmers in how they leveled the musket and prime the pan or whatever, rammed the No, there's always going to be somebody who's either slower or faster, isn't there? Yeah, Yeah. so that gives you that variance, doesn't it? I think once again, a battlefield, there's a lot going off, so... Yes, exactly, yeah. You're going to be reacting to stuff like that. There's always going to be be somebody running out to get the ramrod back. (laughs) 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 I used to always like the pictures on the back of War Games Illustrated of the Elite Miniatures adverts. Where there are these 30, 36 figure units, you know, 48 figure units, Austrian mm. Napoleonic battalions, where there was variance in even a marching unit, as you say, Alex, mm. there might be somebody mm. wiping the brow, or they've got the musket on the other side, or just slightly out of step with the rest. I used to love the look of those, and I, I think it was Pete mm. Morby who used to paint them as well. Um, they, they were just beautiful, they were. So, yeah, I can't quite agree with that. Mm. So. I, I've I've got a unit where it's a American War of Independence Grenadier Battalion, British Grenadier Battalion, forty eight figures, and at one end they're all firing, and then the guys next to them are at the ready to fire, and then as you go down the line, they're in the various stages of loading. Right, and that that oh, still makes me moist. That that's, <laughs> uh, that unit. Oh, I do like that one. Yeah, I've put a picture mm. up of that because that sounds lovely. Yeah, it is, uh, it's, a, it's, in a, it's in a box under this table somewhere. Uh, so nice one, Pete. Thanks very much for that. And the last one, Mark Hydes, was uh, on just, uh, well, last week Mark was on. Uh, and uh, this did... Yeah, that didn't. this didn't annoy me until Mark said it, and now I can't stop thinking about it. Um, and then, I need to stop this feature. It's making me an angry young man. Um, rules that cost more than the figures you need. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's an interesting one. Yeah. So, and, and was it that? Uh, I can't. Well, black powder. Going back to my one of my favourite sets of rules, for, <laughs> forty quid or whatever it is, and then it's that wishy washy that you have to buy another twenty five or thirty quid for the period you actually want to play, and then it says it still says in there you can make stuff if if you want. I've just paid 65 quid. It should be right. But don't forget the limited edition with the gold leaf uh, pages. So that was about three times as much as the uh, ordinary version. And it's not wow. so bad. I suppose it's not so bad with that. But when you have like a skirmish set of rules that um, costs 30 quid or and it's designed for 
six figures or ten figures or something like that. Okay, I'm going to be slightly controversial on this one and say <laughs> controversial. I think <laughs> controversial. Yeah, <laughs> uh, on this uh, on this podcast, uh, I, I I don't mind paying quite a bit of money for rules. Mm. I'm happy to pay thirty quid for a set of rules. Uh, what I don't like is like like you said, codex creep where you have to buy a set of rules. There's another set of rules that will name, remain nameless where there are no army lists whatsoever in it. So you have to buy a campaign rule book as well on top of the rule book you just bought. I think all rules should come with at least two armies that you can put on the table and play with for mm. that particular period while they cover. Uh, and maybe a couple of scenarios. Even one scenario is good enough. Just a uh, or just a scenario that has two armies that you you can play straight away, and just uh, then you can go from there. Uh, stuff where you have to buy extra books on top of it to play the game, that annoys me. But I don't mind paying twenty, thirty, even up to forty quid for a set of rules because what I think like this is, and I know they're short runs, but so this is why they have to be mm. expensive anyway. So it's just a, 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 a point of view of a business point of view. But I feel that a set of rules is something, if you're using it, you go back to it all the time. And the, the, the my sets of rules, the ones that I use the most, I've read several times. Mm. There's not that many books that I own that I've paid 20 quid for that I've read more than once. So I feel I'm getting, as a reader, I'm getting my money's worth because I've read it three, four five i'm referring to it in games it's a it's a tool a rule book is a tool yeah. and i think you know if you're using it then i don't begrudge paying a, a lot of money for it i say a lot of money i mean you know 30 or 40 quid and i can see that with let's take o group as an example one that we're both familiar with that has rules all the way through it and um, it's got some pictures in it, but not massive amount. And then it's got army lists at the back, uh, and it has a scenario. Scenario it has, it has four, yeah, four nineteen forty four army lists. Uh, so you can basically make your own. You've got a scenario built into it, so you know you got everything you need there within that rule set. And it's what yeah. I don't know, thirty quid. Yeah, and I, I, I think that that is decent value because I, I'm paying mm-hmm. for the content there. Whereas some of the glossy bigger sets of rules the actual rule content is four eight pages um and then you know there's 20 pages on um painting a figure and which i get some people like that some people i i i don't but I'm, i don't begrudge other people having it but the the contents of the rules are very minimal compared to everything else that's in the book and as you say some of the books you need to buy another 20 or 30 quid to get a uh, a, a theatre of conflict book that then enables you to play that period, um, and it's a big, big investment, for, especially for a oh yeah, uh, you know, for a something. new player or a young kid or something like that. When they've only got mm. a certain amount of pocket money, I mean, you know, you, if you buy, you know, let's, let's just say for example, pulling it out of my ass, there's a World War Two rule book that has the rules in it, but doesn't tell you how to put together a force. Now, if if that mm. World War Two rule book had a 1944 uh, American and German typical force at the back of it. Yeah, that would make me a lot happier than having to go and buy a Normandy supplement to play the game that you want to play. It's like, well, I've already bought the rules. Mm. Why am I paying for something extra? And as you say, with O Group, it does it. You've got four armies, uh, nineteen forty-four armies 
detailed at the back, you've also got a scenario. Perfect, because then you can go down your own route and you can also play a scenario that's already set up for you. Mm. And it's it's not a massive outlay, I don't think, for a rules writer. No, no. I appreciate people need to, to make the money from it, but I want mm. the content to come with it. And I think O Group yeah. has got it right. I think there's what you need in there. Um, and there's not there's very little filler. Yeah, you know, there, there isn't eighty-seven pictures of Dave Brown's Sherman Mark IV. So <laughs> pad it out. It, it's yeah. It does what it says on the. It tin. does what it says on the tin. I, I think, from my point of view, the there's a couple of things. One is the amount of times, uh, sorry, the amount of time it takes to write and play test a set of rules isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's a it's an investment from the rules writer. Yeah. Um, however, that then it has to be reflected, I suppose, in the quality of the the product that they're selling to you, as in the physical quality. So, some of the, a rule set like Black Powder. Let's go, let's go with Black Powder or Hail Caesar mm. or that sort of genre. Um, they're almost coffee table books, aren't they? The, as, mm-hmm. as you say, can the actual rules content is minimal. Um, now, whether that's a good thing or not, I don't know, because they're clearly a popular set of rules, um, and do they need anything more in there? But then you might say, well, they could be released in a 20-page pamphlet as opposed to a big hardback book, which is a coffee table book full of wargaming pornography, essentially, yeah. <laughs> is there to ogle at and uh, aspire to, I suppose. Um and then the other part being, okay, if you pay £30 for a set of rules that you're happy with as a rule set, uh, but not particularly happy on the cost, look how many times you play that game. If you play 100 games of that, mm. then value for money for that mm-hmm. £30 investment is, is pretty good. If you only play mm-hmm. it once, then it's not a very good investment. Or if you sling it in the... The bin going. I don't like even playing it. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So it, it's it's a tricky one for me. That um, I've my experience, I suppose, with rules and rules writing and rules uh, publications is through Peter Pig and and uh, the rules Martin puts out there, um, and he, he often gets criticised, or there's often criticism of the quality of the actual book itself, regardless of the rules, hmm. uh, the, the um, proofreading or uh, just how they're written uh, often gets fed back as not being great. Um, but the actual game that they give, once you've once you've uh, got the hang of them, ten, in my opinion, is, is good. Uh, but their rules are 15, 16 quid a pop so is that is that a level of expectation that's coming from these coffee table books though is are people expecting that uh as a as a standard now to have these huge tones well it goes all the way back to thinking doesn't it warhammer is it warhammer second edition i think that was the first hardcover version of it warhammer fantasy battle and that Mm. is a massive uh coffee table book it's full of wargaming pornography. It's a you know from a nostalgic point of view, it's a fantastic 
piece of work, but there is also it is absolutely full of rules, and there are scenarios in there. You know, the, it's, I mean, most of the rules are like individual animal types. You know, like giant <laughs> slugs and unicorns and all the different stats and all stuff. All my and, favorites. You know, yeah, yeah, eighty pages on magic and stuff like that. But you know, there are rules, and it is and it is using it, but it is still also a coffee table book that you can just sit and look through and read. Because I enjoy reading rules. I like reading them i like the process of reading them uh especially if they're well written and if they're well illustrated as well so i kind of some i come somewhere in the middle mm. i like a good but something with nice pictures as much as uh and also you know a little bit of fluff here and there but i also ask as well for like i say those those simple things of just having a scenario or at least a generic army list and peter pig do that square bashing has it um you do have a an army book for square bashing separately to the to the rules same with pbi but in both pbi and in square bashing there are scenarios already written for you and you know a couple of example armies so you can just get stuff on the table straight away and that's that's what i expect to see at the minimum in a set of rules awesome rest of it i don't mind so much rest of it i don't i don't mind a bit of fluff and i don't mind photos and stuff but yeah, you have to. I think you have to have those as minimum. Uh, and just before we move on to uh, ask our Nora and the questions, um, I just thought I'd bring up one of the hot topics in the in the hobby that was going around uh, recently. Uh, and this is uh, midwinter minis. Uh, I think uh, Alex has done a, uh, a response video to this. And this no, some... I haven't. I haven't bothered. Have you not? Um, no, I mentioned it. Other yeah. people have done them. Couldn't yeah. be bothered. It was something about um, people who played Lancastrians in the War of the Roses being Nazis. <laughs> oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was a long run. Uh, well, long you, I'm run. sure you're yeah. completely on board with that. Yeah, but yeah. Um, <laughs> 100%. I found that I found that a fascinating. I mean, it's, it's absolutely died a death now. It's yeah. sort of, there was no response came out from Midwinter Minis themselves. Um, but I found it a fascinating uh, little episode, to be honest. M mainly because I, I I follow the Midwinter Minis YouTube channel. I think it's a great channel and there's some great painting tips on there. There's one or two little bits of controversies that I won't go into just around the channel, uh, which I think possibly fueled the backlash against mm. him. No. Um, they didn't uh, really have much to do with what he was talking about, to be fair. No, or anything to do with it. In fact, it was that was a personal thing, you know. But yeah, people drag yeah. it out as a as a as a stick to beat them with. It's like, yeah, come on. Yeah, no, exactly. And I thought that was unfair. Um, I do think the video was slightly misjudged, um, <laughs> particularly in in the sense that, <laughs> particularly in the sense that the the episode was sponsored by World of Warships, which. Is World War Two? Oh, ships. that was amusing. That was amusing. Yeah, yeah. Halfway uh, through, oh, you can play anything. You can be a Japanese uh, <laughs> Happy cars battleship if you like. You know, because they didn't do anything bad in the Second World War, did they? Yeah. And, and ultimately, I think it was just ignorance on his part of, of the historical side of the hobby. He's clearly not. It was very clumsy. Very well versed because it was very much about bolt action, and it was very much around one particular thing which was bolt action uh i what got up my nose is the fact that his partner on the 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 channel i don't know her name but hetty. she'd actually been invited to, hetty is it she'd been invited to the women in wargaming panel at salute 
which mm. is a historical wargaming show. Yeah. Now, why they didn't stop any of the millions of war, uh, historical wargamers at Salute and ask them what their opinion of this was, mm. I don't know. But literally, I think the, the the video before it was like a you know my my experience absolute kind of video. Then it came out with this this nonsense clickbait. Let's go back to clickbait that we were yeah. talking about earlier. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, pure and simple, that's what it was, yeah. and a very clumsy attempt at clickbait as well. Um, and yeah, the, I, that just I just thought you were lit- you were literally with five thousand historical war gamers for the most part at salute. You could have stopped any one of them. Mm. Uh, and and said you know talk to him about it and said you know there was plenty of World War Two tables there that they could have just stopped and said you know what's the deal with playing the bad guys how do you feel about it just drops in a few different interviews different few different voices of people who actually do it you know and get their take on it where no matter how you no matter where you sit in the argument getting other voices is the most important thing I think in that particular aspect. They could, have, they could have interviewed me and I would have said, um, oh, I'm sorry, I've got to go off and walk Blondie, my dog. <laughs> oh, 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 I'm, I'm glad you said Blondie then. I wondered where that was going. Uh, <laughs> Dan Buster reference. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I didn't use that one. How, how great would it have been to, to go and approach one of the best advocates for the hobby, Rich Clark and Nick Skinner, yeah, exactly. at that show? Um, exactly. Because I think that would have absolutely disavowed them of any, not any ideas about uh, people being far right, Nazi, goose stepping. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's and that's yeah. That was that was my thoughts about it. I don't think anybody else. I'm sure somebody else thought to me. Obviously, not just me, but I, I just noticed that you know one of the it was either like this the the video before or a couple of videos before it was her talking about her experiences yeah. and the women of wargaming. Yeah. And you are literally at the premier his, biggest historical wargaming event, and then two two mm. videos later, you are you know you. Whether intentionally or not, you are attacking the historical wargaming crowd. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I saw plenty of people defending them, saying, oh, well, they weren't really saying that. It's like, well, what video were you watching? Because that's mm. not the impression I got from it. No, I think I think they were pretty much on, you're pretty much hitting the nail on the head there. That uh, it was a very thinly veiled, if failed at all attack mm. on anybody who would wish to play historical war games mm. yeah yeah anyway. yeah disappointing clumsy and disappointing i thought yeah, yeah, yeah. that was my odds but no i didn't do a response to it because i couldn't be bothered a lot of other people had done it and what else am i going to say that everyone did quite a good one that. didn't he yeah. Dom did he did quite, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that's he did it, yeah that's uh boost on the table that is uh yeah. if you're yeah. if you're listening you don't know his channel yeah i think um whatever whatever it is um what in life there is a people who are people you don't want to associate with but it doesn't um you know there are people who play wargaming who pick the ss because they get a plus one yeah um Mm. because they're allegedly better troops and they've got better equipment um there are there'll be people out there who play the ss because they might go that way politically but it doesn't mean that the rest of the historical wargaming society are bad. 
people still get building work done, but, and but we've had Fred West. So you don't <laughs> stick everyone in the same bloody thing, no. do you? Uh, yeah, not every GP is Harold Chipman. Yeah, I fancy getting an extension. Oh, I'm not doing it in case they kill 16 <laughs> women or whatever. And yeah, the irony just, is yeah. that uh, a lot of that channel is about painting space marines, and it's possibly the most fascistic <laughs> uh, uh, law background for a science fiction uh universe you could ever come across so yeah um, my other problem was is he, he has got a massive reach as well it's a huge hmm. channel oh it's huge. Uh, i can't remember it's, it's, it's nearly nearly half a million um, oh, subscribers yeah. or something yeah. like that. Cl- yeah. close to at least isn't it or a third of a million at least and you just think that would have been a really good chance to highlight the historical part of the hobby mm. without having to go down a clickbaity title a clumsy yeah. way but just by talking to some other historical wargamers, you know, it would have been so simple. And as you say, you know, Rich, Rich and Nick were both there. Well, Nick wasn't at Salute, I don't mm, think. No, he no, wasn't. But, but, you know, this, was, uh, Rich, yeah, Rich was certainly there, and he would have been a perfect advocate and a great ambassador for the hobby, as he is anyway. Yeah. <sighs> Wasted chance. Well, yeah, yeah, there we go. So, um, Bertis Garden for summer holidays, lads? Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Only if you oh, dress oh. up. I'll... Well, I'm snapping on my armband as we speak. There's enough. There's enough leather coming to my front door at the moment, anyway. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll borrow some of that. Oh, I look like Judas Priest on a day off. Right. Um, uh, we'll take a, another break here, and then we'll go on to our final section of Askar Nora. The new, the new program has new program has five, four, three, two, one countdown. I keep feeling like I'm on dusty bin. <laughs> Very slow though, isn't it? Five, four, three. <laughs> I know Luke, what you could have won was uh Bullseye, Ted Rogers, wasn't it? Yeah, Ted yeah. Rogers, isn't it? On uh... no, Ted, no Ted Rogers, Ted Rogers was just bin, yeah. 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 I used to do it that quick and you always just try and copy it at school and you'd <laughs> yeah. always get you'd always get the two fingers wrong <laughs> just as the math teacher walked in. Oh. <laughs> Riley, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, Dusty Bin, sir. Dusty Bin. <laughs> Stupid boy. Oh, I, don't wa- I don't watch that. It's on ITV. Common people watch ITV. <laughs> anyway, so uh, midwin- midwinter minutes, mid- midwinter win- minis. Uh, people who play Leeds United in Subutio are not Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get that completely clear now. <laughs> Right. So, Ask Arnora, uh, we get questions from uh, our legion of fans, all three of them. Um, How long is this going on for? 82 hours. (laughs) Make advantage of it, Alex. We're out of the basement. We've got fresh air. Let's drag this out. It's kind of fresh, isn't it? I mean, with with Ken breaking wind. (laughs) (laughs) Cut him with a knife. Oh. <laughs> right, John Sowerby. Hello, John. Facebook. Hi, John. Hello, John. Uh, what rule set, scale, or historical period have you tried and then hastily retreated from it as a bad job, and why? Oh my god! Silence in the room. I'm trying to think of anything. Yeah, I'm trying to think of something actually. 
I don't think there's anything that I've hastily retreated from because I've I've either read them and not liked them, so I've never got them on the table. Yeah. You know, I've bought a lot of rules that I've never played because I like I mentioned it, I like playing rules, but mm. uh I don't think there's anything where I've just gathered everything together and then just got no bin it. No, I've still got I'd I've still got um the ten mil Malbiorian stuff was probably the one that I'd had hanging around for a fifteen plus years i never did anything with until last year but i've started mm. cracking through those now right. um and i haven't got anything that i've bought it's been a failed project and then i've sold it on i've always carried on with stuff or you know gone back to it over the years and dabbled a bit here and there i've, I've gathered stuff together and then played it and then sold it on mm. but it hasn't been like an instant like say for example, uh, Infamy Infamy. I bought that. I bought into. I bought loads of fifteen mil Celts and Romans. Played quite a few games of it. Enjoyed it, but then kind of thought this is not really for me. It's not really a period I particularly enjoy. Enjoyed the games, uh, but mm. then sold it on to somebody. But I got something out of it. I didn't just buy it, play one game, and then bid it. You know, I certainly explored the game as much as I I wanted to. So that's probably the late, most latest one. But yeah, it's not really something that I do to be honest. I'm not I'm not so much a hobby magpie like that, as we've discussed in the past anyway. Sean, have you uh, epically failed? <laughs> Many times. Are you on about wargaming? Yeah. Space, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, Space hedgehogs. I'll go back. <laughs> Space hedgehogs. No, um, I was just wondering if it, either of you have any experience of collecting figures uh, for a particular rule set, then put it on for uh, a group of friends and then had a bad reaction from your group of friends that has then tainted your opinion towards the whole project. Because that's happened to me mm. fairly recently. Uh, oh, I, won't, right. I won't say which rule set it was. but 40k. Um... <laughs> 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 uh, <sorry. laughs> Uh, but there was a particularly bad, <laughs> particularly bad uh, reaction from uh, one player in particular to this game that I'd been um, building for six months or more uh, to put it on at the club and then umpired the game. Uh, and then a particularly bad re reaction from uh, one of the players just soured the whole project for me. That, mm. Then I thought... Mm. I'm not. I've got the um, willpower to to play it again, or or put it. It's just put left such a bad taste in my mouth. Try it again uh, with a different set of players. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, and that is the obvious obvious reaction, I suppose. But um, I do tend to wear my heart on my sleeve a lot with these things, and uh, you get wounded. I didn't. Sh I, you know, I didn't run off and cry and and uh, or anything, but. Um, it, it definitely wounded me um, after the, all the effort that I put in mm. uh, to produce this one game. But as as opposed to an individual... That's our social contract we were talking about earlier, isn't it? Yeah, mm. no, exactly. And it's why I buy into it so much as, a, as, a, as an idea and a concept. But regarding um, an individual set of rules, no, I can't think that I've ever... I've ever I, run yeah. away from I've, it. I've certainly bought into a period played a set of rules and ditched them because they're crap. Yeah. But then I've played the same period with another set of rules. Yeah. Um I you know it's not it's not the project that's gone out of the window or the figures that have gone out of no. the window. It's the rule set. 
Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'm very as you know, I'm very specific about the the periods that I play and like. I'm also quite specific about the rules that I like as well, <laughs> which I'm sure we all are. But um yeah, so I I you know, it's like I I've got a big collection of Second World War stuff which I can turn into using for anything. So I could play PBI with it, I could play O Group, I could play if I wanted to, I could play Flames of War with the stuff I've got. Mm. I don't want to, but so for me, it's not like I'm building up a big collection of something to play and then throw it away because I've already, uh, more like you just said there, Kenny, it's, it's probably the rules themselves that would probably get binned off before the figures did because I've already got the figures and they are multi purpose for that particular, you know, I'll make, make sure they're multi purpose. So I don't base for a particular set of rules, I base for what I want. So you can just use them anywhere you want to. And yeah. Yeah, so I, I can't remember the last time I did it where I built up a big. I've got, I've got um I've got a DBA army uh, of uh, the Wallachians, which I have never put on the table, and the only reason I got it is because of Vlad the Impaler, uh, and I wanted the uh, the Love zone Vlad. of control. The zone of control is actually a pile of skulls, so, <laughs> and the and the the encampment is uh, is a load of impaled bodies. So nice. that was literally the only reason I wanted it. Uh, but, you know, that wasn't... Were you going through a difficult time when you were painting very that? So, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> Divorce number three. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it was... Uh, but that, again, you know, it's a DBA army, so it's 48 figures. Mm. So it's hardly a massive investment, you know what I mean? It's like I've just yeah, painted yeah. 45 Frenchmen for a platoon, so uh, i done that in a week. So, you know, you could, it wasn't... Like half a half a year spent doing something that I've never used. It's just something I've never used. Yeah. So oh, you need to you need to do a video. Um, it's a great game, but somebody's got to play Vlad the. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants to play Vlad apart from me. <laughs> chucking a few skulls, chucking a bit of blood dripping down the screen. Oh. I tell they'd you, mate, it. your channel would go through the roof. They'd love it. They'd love it. Go through the roof. And then also with a with a, uh, a thumbnail of me gurney. Yeah. And pointing. Mid poo. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd screenshotted yeah. that then. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll repeat it at partisan for you, mate, if you want. <laughs> um, um, I say I will stay away from some historical periods. I've I've um, hankered to do Crimean for years, but as I said before, the Russians have still got flintlock mis muskets, so the British and French just stand outside of range and like <laughs> wave and and then load their whatever they've got, fire it off. So yeah, very boring. And Dark Ages, I've never. I know you can't say that anymore, but um, I'm 55. I'm not changing my mind now. Dark Ages, I've never got into it. Don't know. Early medieval. Early medieval. <laughs> Two small battles, Vikings cutting people's heads off. Well, you see, again, from an archaeological point of view, I've always been interested in the Vikings, and I have had Viking armies in the past, mm. uh, twenty-eight and fifteen mil. Uh, but I, you know, sold them off because I just never played. It, it's more interesting to me from an archaeological point of view than a than a warfare point of view, uh, because I, I don't think those those battles are particularly interesting. Two lines of people just fighting it out in the center until one breaks. But you know, other people like it. But yeah, they're again, they're they're not they're not periods where I bought into and then sold off. It's all all right, but somebody's got to play the Vikings. That said, actually, no, it's just that's just sparked a, a, a Dux Britannium, Britannierum. 
Oh, uh, yes. I played a couple of games uh, with Jeremy Short uh, when he set, first set up Virtual Lard, which was the during the lockdown. Uh, and I played some games of Ducks. Really, really enjoyed it. Oh, it's a fantastic game. Spent 70 quid on the the, uh, the 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 rules and the supplements and the uh, the the cards. Then it calmed down, and I realised that <laughs> I was never going to buy any figures for it. I was never going to do anything with it, so I just sold it on. Great, but great game, you know. So, uh, but I, yeah, I just had a massive, uh, you know, while we were playing the game, I was actually buying the rules because I just went over to two fat lardies and and got there, got the rules and stuff. But then, yeah, you know, a couple of weeks later, I just thought, why did I do that? I'm never going to play this. So somebody else has got it now. Yeah. Moving on to uh, George Breeze on Facebook, and and um, we've kind of covered it a little bit. Uh, George has asked, what period of time do you have no interest in wargaming, <laughs> even though it would be very easy to do? And what period would you, do you love to wargame, but it would be really hard to do? Well, I've already said Dark Ages for me. I've just got no interest in it whatsoever. I um, Is it I, called pre-medieval now? Is that what they're called? No, it's just early medieval. medieval. Why is that? What's wrong you, with Dark Ages? Right. Dark Ages. Oh, I'm an old man. I can't stand <laughs> Do you want me to explain it changing. to you? <laughs> yes, please. Right. Dark Ages is a, is a, is a term. It was a term that is used because uh, early scholars, the 18th, 19th century, when they started looking at history and archaeology, they saw that the Greeks and the Romans were the, 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 the classical periods of civilization. And then once those civilizations fell, colors, Europe in particular went into a period of dark ages, the dark ages, because there was very little writing, there was very little, uh, the, the Roman ruins fell, the Saxons, for example, didn't live in Roman ruins, they lived away from them because they thought they were haunted, they started living in Grubenhausen. However, in the modern period, we have discovered more and more archaeology and understand the, those periods more, the early uh, medieval more and we realized that they were actually incredible craftsmen uh they were incredible uh incredibly high uh, societies within across europe that were operating and it wasn't just a case of you've suddenly you know, you've got these classical uh, civilizations where everybody knows loads of stuff they're all philosophers they're all poets they're all scientists then all of a sudden there's nothing until the Enlightenment, we know a lot more about it. So this is why it's not called the Dark Ages anymore, because it just it doesn't it doesn't apply in the way that they those early scholars applied it to that period of history. And here endeth the lesson. Thank you. I obviously missed that email. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm an archaeologist by trade, so you know I know this stuff. Yeah, no, I yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But uh, if you said the well, Dark Ages, most people know what you mean. Yeah, exactly. But Nobody, yeah. Nobody's around from the Dark Ages to complain, are they? No, they're certainly not. <laughs> nobody's, nobody's rising from the grave going, you know Absolutely. what, I'm offended. I'm offended yeah, by being you? called Dark Ages. <laughs> um, and a period I'd love to war game, but it would be really hard to. I have to say, I'd love to do 28 mil Napoleonics, but I've got Seven thousand, no, nine thousand, fifteen mil Napoleonics. So to do twenty-eight mil. Yeah, I agree. I think just the painting of them, fifteen mil, is good for me because we go back to that accuracy thing. You can ignore a lot of a lot of stuff on fifteen mil. 
mm. uh, especially when it comes to things like Napoleonics, and and that is a rabbit hole you can go down, isn't it? A huge rabbit hole. Most of it, all the all this behind me is fifteen mil Napoleonics. Is bloody mm. thousands of them. I've seen them in the flesh. They're fantastic. Mm. Mm. Really good. Sure. Uh, well, no period that I wouldn't game or collect, to be honest, from biblical through to modern day, uh, to be honest. And I, I've, I've done most of them over the years. Um, but I suppose that a, uh, a period I'd like to game but would be too difficult is it's a period I've gained many year, for many years, but... Um, I'm not sure there's enough years left in this old body for me to fulfill <laughs> the, uh, the idea is uh, I, I would love, I would love a huge um, collection of, and I may have said this before, huge collection, 28 mil Dixon ACW. Mm. Um, they were the first figures uh, that I played with uh, as a proper war game, I suppose, at the Stoke Club. Uh, owned by some uh, other members, but these huge games on, uh, I think it was 12 by 6 or 14 by 6 table, just full of um, Dixon figures on uh, handmade scenery and terrain uh, just really fills me full of that nostalgia, gives me that nostalgia mm. kick. And uh, as I enter my uh, later years, I'd love to recreate that, but... Mm. It's unlikely to happen. I mean, the the figures alone cost close on two two pound a figure now, Jeez, um, yeah. and which is nothing compared to forty k. I appreciate you paying <laughs> three, four pound. I was going to say you paid eight hundred eight hundred quid for four figures, haven't you? Yeah, well, I mean, you certainly pay over a hundred pound for one figure. That's no joke. Um, oh, wow, uh, oh, I mean, you know, you're talking to two Yorkshiremen, don't you? Oh, say things yeah, like that. You kill us both. Two hundred quid, but you know, <laughs> may, maybe how much? <laughs> maybe um, I really ought to take a leaf out of your book, Ken. Uh, in when you when you you do your soapbox bit around big games, as you don't do it all at once, you do it bit by yeah. bit. Um, mm. And you know, a case of buying the odd bit here and there, and, and starting with it. But I don't know, maybe, maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Uh, and a follow-up question from George. Um, uh, what's the most reckless head first you've jumped into a project? Oh I think we've just seen the box. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's the story of my hobby life, that is, jumping head first. Yeah. No idea of rules, but spent 200 plus on figures. And what caused this to happen? Well, George... That's exactly how I do every single period that I've ever done. <laughs> I go, right, I'm going to do Resorgimento. What do I know about it? Fuck all. <laughs> right, here's £200 worth of figures. What am I going to do? Well, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Let's go on a journey. Let's buy some 1700 scale World War II models. <laughs> I've got room full of them now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's my story, to be honest, that I will... Mexican Revolution, most, mostly the Peter Pig type collections, because Martin will, will put out an idea that he's going to write a set of rules for whatever, whichever. I know we'll buy this. Daff <laughs> <laughs> lad from Stoke. Yeah. Uh, and then I'll buy I'll buy two armies minimum straight away, spending two three hundred pounds, and then uh, 
regret it when the uh, I, bank statement comes through. I don't mm. think uh, I've ever actually spent 200 quid in one go on an army. The most I think I've ever spent is about 100 quid, and that was for the recently for the uh, Bag the Hun aircraft, the 1600 stuff I did, mm. Battle of Britain and for Malaya. Uh, and I think they were about it was about a hundred quid, I think. But I knew that I wanted them and I was going to use them, and I and I am using them. Uh, the other head first thing was I just mentioned it, Dub Britannia, which was about seventy mm. quid with the rules and and bits and pieces, which I never, I didn't get beyond reading, simply because <laughs> I got no interest in the in wargaming that period. Uh, you know, so the, you know the fact that I was enjoying the game so much meant that I I just bought stuff. Uh, so I think that's probably the only time I've done mm. it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very. I'm, I try to be quite temperate in what I do when it comes to wargaming. I try not to to leap into stuff too much. I tend to, when I do it, I tend to stick to a big project and stick to it for yeah. a long time. You know, last year I spent three hundred quid on Italian Wars cavalry. Mm. <laughs> no infantry, just cavalry. Uh, so. But generally, with those big purchases, you get a big discount as well, don't you? Yeah, I got I got suckered into that twenty percent if you spend over three hundred quid. Yeah, and so then you, the you save. I spend, uh, I yeah, spend, spend that as well. But for thinking of Peter Pig, I think they're doing like a, a discount at the moment on anything over sixty quid. And I was just thinking, oh, there's nothing. Right, I, yeah. There's nothing I want to spend sixty quid on. At the moment, the stuff I want from Peter Pick, but you know, I'm not going to make any yeah. savings because I know I don't. I'm like, I got a load of French for the First World War, and that's my latest project. Uh, and I know I want some more stuff, and I'm just waiting till I get paid to buy some more mm. stuff. But it's that not going to be 60 50, fi- yeah, literally 50 figures. Yeah, <laughs> it was, so it was, it's a platoon of 45. Five, six packs. Yeah. yeah, so I, I think I paid, I think I paid, I think I paid 48 quid, and that's done me a full French platoon. So I can get them on the table. I want some more stuff, but it's not going to be sixty quid's worth of stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm going to miss out on that. Uh, it's just mm. going to be a little bit more to add in that I'll need. So yeah, if... <laughs> I, I I don't think I've ever paid. I I was going to buy uh, three hundred quid's worth of uh, Bacchus stuff for the Prussian army for Blucher, but that was just before lockdown, and then he started staggering mm. the. Um, the orders because they couldn't take it at the workshop Uh, and it kind of it tempered me again i just thought no i'll I'll just wait i'll just wait and i still haven't gone back to it 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 held you back yeah it did it stopped me it held you back i'll still be painting those bleeding things if i bought them yeah yeah so uh thank you very much for those two questions george uh moving on to uh good old dex dex mchenry hi dex uh, my opponent at the the moment down regular uh, opponent Yeah, yeah. Um, kicking his ass all the way across Kursk. Yeah. I said what we'll do is once we finish this Kursk campaign is we'll uh, do the Malaya campaign and I'll take the British so he can kick my ass all the way down Malaya. (laughs) (laughs) It's only fair. (laughs) Uh, So interesting question from Dex. Napoleon has had another movie done. Which historic commander really should get the Hollywood treatment and who should play them? I saw the follow-up comment to this. Uh, I think it was John 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 Sowerby said that uh, there should be one on Hague uh, and having played by a donkey. To my oh, to which I, I was just oh. which my my reply was that's pretty much ninety nine percent of the First World War <laughs> films and TV shows out there anyway. 
Yeah. <laughs> because nobody's got any imagination or does any research. Yeah. <laughs> well, Napoleon's always going to sell tickets, isn't he? Yes. Mm. Yes. He I'm looking be, forward to the film, actually. It looks, it looks yeah. very good. I don't care about the buttons are wrong or there's too many horses or not enough horses or whatever oh, it is gosh, everybody's yeah. arguing about. It just looks like a good film. Mm, it's um, Ridley Scott, is it? Has done yeah. it? Ridley yeah, Scott, he, Black and Phoenix. It, yeah, he he generally does decent mm-hmm. movies, doesn't he? He certainly Scott. does, yeah. And um, although it, he's put Napoleon has another movie, um, has there been that many? I, you know... Yeah, there's the 1929 silent nine-hour version of Napoleon. There's been a couple others since then. I think there's one in the 50s. Yeah, 1929's that... hardly <laughs> fucking knocking on the door, is yeah, it? Yeah, but it's still a, it's still a film. It's only uh, regular. <laughs> yeah. All right, oh, God. Really, Not really another Napoleonic really. film. We only had one in 1929. There's Waterloo. But there is a transfiction transfiction on on Napoleon as a a character, isn't there, in in popular culture? Documentaries and, uh, you know, films and and dramas and stuff. Yeah. So who else, who would we like to see a film about then? Personally, for me, uh, Robert E. Lee. Mm. Um, With... I don't think that'll get made now. Well, no, but for me, it would be great if there was that more revisionist view of Lee. When I first started to read about the American Civil War 35 years ago, he was he was the man, you know, he was hmm. lauded as the one of the greatest generals who's ever lived. But I think more current study and academic thoughts around him uh i've certainly tempered the view of him as as the great one of the greatest generals who's ever lived um mm. i did an episode on the god's own scale podcast with greg and tony from little wars tv uh discussing was gettysburg the price that the south paid for having lee uh, in, in charge um and i think if you look at the statistics actually uh, of his performance, uh, it doesn't stack up that well throughout this, the Civil War. And then, of course, there's the whole social issues around him and the, the slavery issue, and um, uh, which I won't go, I won't start talking about because I know there'll be people with very different opinions to me. But it's, I'm, it, it's become quite a passion of mine in, in my reading, mm-hmm. certainly. Um, pre-war and post-war in Reconstruction era uh, America. Uh, I would love that there was a real no-holds-barred fly-on-the-wall sort of look into into Lee. Um, It would be nice to have something that wasn't tainted from either direction. Yeah, yes. A lot of the problems with history and revisionist history is it's coming from a point of view. It's one way or um, the other, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I've said this many times to and I've, when I've interviewed historians is, you know, what if what if Dave Jones in 1920 gets it absolutely right and and produces the historical record 
that is perfect. And, and does that exist though? Does well, that, this is this is my question because in in, in in forty years time, somebody might come back and and find some new material, and I get that. But we are two hundred plus years on from Waterloo. How much new material is coming out? How many times can I read Waterloo the new fresh perspective, slightly cleaned Vim Toad modern version? Part fifty-seven. Yeah. At what st at what stage do we settle on these are the facts? Yeah. But no, there that you don't. That's the thing with history. It's a it's a movable feast, and you know some of it is is it depends on the society of the time that you're writing for. There are of mm. course biases in every in everybody. However, a good historian uh, ignores those biases as much as possible and looks at the, the primary evidence. And, you know, you can, you could quite easily just nitpick various bits and pieces of stuff. Uh, like you could say, well, you know, we know all there is to know about the first world war, for example. Well, we don't because half of the archives got destroyed in the second world war. Mm, so that's right. something that has been lost forever. So we will never know those bits. And also there is also parts of the archives that have never been explored. So same as Waterloo, there will always be soldiers' letters, soldiers' memoirs, soldiers' diaries that have never been explored, you know, or there's the the a a set of you know Wellington's orders that got lost on the battlefield, stuffed down the back of a sofa in Belgium that have just come to light. Mm. For things like Waterloo, there's you know a, a reasonable idea of of how things went. And but I still think there are you know they for example Tony Pollard is excavating at Waterloo has been for the last while and they they're still finding new stuff and adding new things to the to the history and that's through archaeology I mean it's a different approach but it's still adding something new to to what the the the, the sum of knowledge that we have about those things and the more the more that history is a discipline and be and, and, he, and has better techniques as it goes along those those techniques go move back into the discipline itself sorry i'm being mm. very academic and boring no. here. but there is you know the nothing nothing is set in stone basically you know the, the, there are certain facts of course there are but there are also different ways of looking at those facts as well i think the pro the, the problem come the problem comes when um money is involved and and somebody's writing a book that they want to be a bestseller and going back to that youtube thing that there, there's got to be it's not clickbait bait on a book but there has to be something in that book that is different to make itself but to make people go oh i didn't know that to kind of go back to the the, the the first point i made about john making that joke about haig being a donkey the donkeys itself, again, First World War, I, I have a passing interest in it. The book, The Donkeys, <laughs> by the by Alan Clark, written in 1960, did a massive disservice to British to the British High Command, Haig in particular. Uh, it's, it's an examination of the Battle of Luz, uh, 1915. It's just when the British Army was still learning its ropes, it was still learning the trade, uh, and it really paints the British High Command in an incredibly bad situation. But nowadays, people still refer to the British High Command as donkeys because of that book. Uh, the book itself, the first thing written in that book, 
is a quote by, I think it's uh, one of the German general staff. It might be Hindenburg or Lundorf, I can't remember. It says, they are lions led by donkeys, supposedly talking about the British army. Mm. It's bullshit. He never said it. It was the, the Germans talking about the French in the Franco-Prussian War. So it's not even the same war. So it starts off with a lie. And also, uh, Clark wrote it specifically to become a bestseller, which he mm. did, and it still is. And it is still as sold, you know, now more so than most of the First World War books, despite now 50 years of solid uh, academic work on the First World War, it still is, you know, a, a bestseller. And it is, it's, 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 it's the paperback version of clickbait. And yeah. it is something that has set something in stone that people think they know that is not history, but it is mm. written as a history book, you know, so... You know, revisionism is important depending on on its bias and depending on where it's coming from, uh, because things like that. Otherwise, you know, if you say right, okay, we'll draw a line and say right, this is history now. In 1960, this is how we would see the First World War, and it is just so wrong in so many places for various reasons. So it shows, yeah, it shows it shows the power, doesn't it? Though of that populist historian uh, author that we've got now with the likes of Max Hastings, Anthony Beaver, James Holland. Uh, I'm not discrediting their academic um, now at all, but they are the books, they are um, the books that will appear uh, on the bestseller list in WH Smith's and are easily available to the common person. And um, Alan Clark's book was probably one of the first, wasn't it, of that populist mm -hmm. history that's easily accessible. It doesn't matter about the content. It's just easily accessible to the masses and therefore becomes entrenched in people's view of um, how how things were. There's no challenge to it. You know, academia will always challenge itself, won't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every idea or hypothesis that's put forward will always um, face challenge through either um, uh, current uh, research or subsequent research that comes after it, it will always challenge the notions that are put forward but the book that uh, you're talking about there uh, alex is probably one of the first isn't it that um reached that yeah populist history i think yeah yes definitely yeah yeah i helped that he was probably producing paperback as well as he's, he's, he's yes he's, exactly and, and, and you know, and 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 again, to to, to state it twice, is is Alan Clark. His his stated aim was to create a bestseller to kickstart his writing career, which he mm. did. You know, and and it still sells today. It's probably his best known book that he wrote. He wrote plenty of other. But the thing is, you know, you look at that and you think, well, this is so badly put together. How? What are the rest of his history books like? You know, what yeah. what's the what's the motive behind those? But you know, he wasn't an academic historian. He was a he was a popularist historical writer, and there's a difference. So you're wrong, Ken. No, no, no I'm just I'm, I'm I'm putting putting talking points forward. <laughs> I am cunning in these ways, but I'm 55 and I'm this bloody it dark ages. I'm, I'm not yeah. changing. I'm, I'm not bloody changing. <laughs> I've got 20, maybe 25 years of senile life left and i can't be learning i can't be learning history three or four times no, i've learned about the dark ages I'm not interested i don't want to learn about them again i don't want to have to go into pre-new medieval time 
I'm happy. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch Jutland the movie. Mm. With I've just been listening to Peter uh, Peter Hart and Gary Baines. Uh, military history podcast and oh, they've been right. doing they... a massive uh, thing on Jutland recently. Oh, I'll have to listen to that. I, well I, worth I, listening I, to. I don't think it's come on to Podbean so I haven't, I've seen it, I know he's doing mm. it but I can't find it. Oh right, okay, it's on Spotify so, but yeah, if you don't have so... Spotify then you, then you don't get it. Well, but, yeah, I, do, well I, I do, but I, I listen to everything on Podbean you see. So it's yeah. on there. Um, so yeah, um, Jellico BT the interaction mm. between the two get a couple of big stars Big flash battle cruiser commander, sunglasses, Brad Pitt maybe, <laughs> Jellico, the old slower one, Anthony Hopkins, lots of staring, <laughs> lots of where's he going with those battle cruisers, lots of <laughs> why is he not following me with the fleet? <laughs> oh. the, I think Imagine the problem is. Theme, theme tune, theme tune by the bloke who did the Dam Busters theme tune. Never mind fucking about with up. bloody that stupid, <laughs> that stupid bird with the green hair. What's it? It's, it's currently I, decomposing, not composing. I, 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 Irish woman. And yeah. I don't want her. To, yeah, I don't want her to sing. I want your Hans Zimmer. <laughs> yeah, Hans Zimmer. Dam Busters. Yeah. Band of the Coldstream Guards. <laughs> That'd be a naval tune, surely. Hearts of Oak, Hearts of Hearts of Oak to a grime disco beat. You've lost me. You've me, lost too. me. Me too. I... Well, you don't even know Hearts of Oak. No, it's no the, grime. Grime. It's like drill music. Oh, oh, well, that makes it far. Yeah, you, you know that, don't you? You know that. Yeah, yeah. All over drill music. Wiki wiki. Spinning wiki. the decks. Ooh. Spinning the decks. <laughs> anyway, so that's mine. Sean, have you got one that you'd like to put forward? I've put forward Lee, haven't I? Lee, yeah, yes, Lee Reno. and Haig. Yeah. No, I, I, Lee. I, 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 I could, I could, if I had a beard, bigger beard, I could do Lee. <laughs> nah. <laughs> Needs to be somebody charge, distinguished. Charge the big yeah, tree exactly. over there. Put your right hand down, Ken. That <laughs> yes, that's that's not looking good. No, that, that's the one I can't do. <laughs> I'm just pointing to it. I've got a pen in my hand. Your pen went off screen. <laughs> Blondie, get down. <laughs> Midwinters were right. Oh, yeah. yeah, they are. Totally. Bloody Lancaster. Somebody's got to be the Yorkshire gamer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Right, Nigel Atter on Insta. Nigel. Oh, Nigel. That's Sean. What? what happened to his Bois Hugo nineteen seventeen scenario? Bois Hugo. Has he really put that question down? He has, yeah. Well, yeah. Nigel will talk offline. It, it will happen. <laughs> That's a lose uh, reference. Yeah. Of lose. Yeah, listeners. I think that means that Sean hasn't done anything. We need to sort out the. Um, Alex might be able to help me here. The big coals. Uh, uh, the coal the heaps are the or the uh, uh, they had the um, I can't remember yeah I can't remember what they call but the 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 the, the winding gear weren't it for the coal mines yes. and you've got the slag heaps yeah, yeah. as well. Uh, well we when we were out digging around Lewis we used to call them uh, Madonna's tits. <laughs> uh, Nigel, the figures are all ready to rock, so uh, it's just sorting out that bit. I'm sure we'll find somebody to three D print something suitable and we'll use square bashing and uh, we'll invite Alex 
Excellent. Built for that. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Something like Crassions or something, isn't it? The big slag heaps. Yes. Yes. They the Crassions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you put them in your soup. Crassier. <laughs> 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 it's Cruz something. Oh, is it? Yeah. It These foreign things are just like pie, mash, bees. <laughs> Dark ages. Oh, <laughs> Bit of endos. <laughs> that's that's what I'm that's what I'm being fancy. <laughs> uh right, no no brush on the instas. Oh, goes out everywhere, this does. Um what's your go-to ECW rules? This ECW. is where Alex goes ECW. This is where what? Alex goes, I don't play ECW. Don't play ECW. Next. Uh forlorn hope for me, as I've said a number of times. Uh chatted with um Pete Berry, quite a bit about it on the podcast with him. Uh, very enjoyable set of rules. Um, they quite inno- innovative for the time as well in that they uh, lots of rules separate the pike and the shot from each other, um, whereas um, the pike and shot, sorry, not pike and shot, <laughs> um, forlorn hope have a pike ratio, pike to shot ratio for the unit, so you're not counting figures. Hmm. Um, so you have a unit of thirty-two, and it fights as a fights and shoots as a ratio, um, which was quite innovative back in the day. Um, and uh, we've played many. We've, we had a game with about three and a half thousand figures on the table um, at the end of a ECW campaign that we did, um, and it worked brilliantly mm. with our modifications. He's, he's already been mentioned, but Dex uh, is a big ECW fan. And he mm. keeps threat- threatening to to get me to play a game of it, which I'd said I will do. I just haven't, we haven't no time yet. Uh, and he plays Victory Without Quarter. Don't know. Then. I think it is. I think it's a free set are of they... rules on uh, that yeah. you can get off the internet. They didn't he... even reach the voting stage of the World Cup. They were mm. off that website called The Perfect Captain, I think, something like that, where there's ah, quite yeah, a few sets I know of them. rules. Yeah, there, there's some real. The those Perfect Captain stuff are really really well produced yes. and they do a, a also the roses one with loads of characters and it looks brilliant but yes but i've just not been able to penetrate the outer crust of the rules i just can't get in my head how they work uh, the website's down now but there is a facebook group uh, yeah and it's got and all links the, all, to all the rules on there yeah. all the rules are on and the for free rules they are absolutely yeah, they superb are. Yeah, it's an incredible they're amount of work very very good uh, ECW for me, um, this won't surprise anybody, it's the Peter Pig set Regiment of Foot, which is uh, square-based. Um, and I think one of my favourite parts of it, well, other than the fact it's um, a fast-play game, um, uh, one of my favourite parts is uh, in the in the rule book you'll find two scenarios written by me, which I think you'll find are extremely... Oh, well. <laughs> no. well, of course, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, um, buy, the, buy them and get copies signed at uh, the other part. <laughs> yeah, coming yeah. soon. Um, no, my favourite part is the push of pike mechanism, um, mm. which I really like. So when units come into contact, there's a little dice mechanism where uh, you see who wins that push of pike and gets the advantage in the... Uh, in the combat uh I, I love that part and uh yeah they're probably one of my favorite sets of rules actually uh, in uh overall uh so uh, yeah regiments of foot from peter pick excellent uh second second one from um 
I've lost his name now. Uh, Noel Brush. Can Sean do some more Mexican jokes? <laughs> Did I do my tequila one? You've done the tequila one. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm out then, I'm afraid. Oh, God for that. Oh, well. The tequila thank, one. Thank God for that. The tequila one. You just talk about my tumbleweed joke earlier on, the, t- the tequila one. Mate, if you can find any better Mexican jokes, then you're a better man than me. So somebody mentioned it on um, on um, Facebook, and there were loads of people laughing at it. Yeah, it was like, well, but you've here? got to say it in the accent, though, haven't you? You can't just deliver it in a Yorkshire accent. Oh, dear me, what can I say? Anyway, uh, Simon Stokes on Facebook. Hello, Hello Simon. Simon. Uh, here's a question that he's pondered: Assuming 3D color printer printing ever reaches an acceptable quality and price point would you ever consider using it for mundane stuff like scenery or mass rank and file troops uh, i don't think i would uh, 3d printing uh, if it's color 3d printed color would you use it for scenery and or mass rank troops personally it's i not... wouldn't because i enjoy painting yeah that's it it's the same for me that venn diagram of wargaming hmm. I'm the painter collector, and that's what I enjoy about the hobby. And I don't want some. I don't want a computer. I don't want a computer driving my car. I don't want a computer turning my lights on. I don't want a computer making me toast. I don't. I'll fucking do it myself. Thank you very much. And I'm, I'm happy for all that stuff. Uh, painting. I enjoy painting. Yeah, I enjoy painting. <laughs> what do you call two Mexicans playing baseball? He's just been Googling this, you know. Oh, God. Is this going to get us banned? Juan on Juan. <laughs> Two Mexicans play baseball. Juan oh, on no. Juan. <laughs> oh, well, ladies and gentlemen, God. this has I been Bruce the Vineyard. It's been a pleasure talking to you over these years and... Uh, <laughs> Think that joke is finally this killed. Is, this oh, killed his off. Killed the show. Thank God. Uh, oh. <sighs> yeah, I've just colour print. Colour printing, sure. No more jokes. <laughs> because I was googling that, I missed the question. I'm sorry. <laughs> Would you use colour print, colour three D prints for terrain and uh, soldiers without actually having to paint stuff yourself? Well, ultimately, in the, in the far future, I would, if there was an option where you didn't have to paint figures to the standard that I, I would like to play with on the on the table, uh, then yes, I would I would use three D printing pre coloured figures. Painting is yeah a necessity, not uh, a nicety. So Sean's the lazy bastard of the three of us. Is basically yeah, what we're saying. I'm so sorry, mm-hmm. yeah. Excellent. Yeah, I can go with that. I can go with that. Uh, Martin Kelly uh, from Facebook. Uh, hi, Martin. Uh, you have come up with this. Uh, almost all the figures I buy get painted and put on upon the table. Yet you hear of vast piles of unpainted lead in people's collections. What percentage of figure pieces purchases do you think never make it to the table? And this question is for your own personal collections as well as the wider wargaming population. Uh, my lead pile is quite small. Mm. It's far smaller than my painted pile. Uh, because, again, we discussed this in the past, don't we? I just buy stuff that I want to paint, and then I paint it, and then I buy something else. Yeah. 
you know, so I don't, uh, I'm not a wargaming butterfly, so I don't just go to a show and come back with loads of lead that's never going to get painted. Uh, in fact, I very rarely buy stuff. I buy specifically for painting it. Uh, and it's very rare that I have stuff st- sitting around for very long, at least these days anyway. I've had some stuff that's sitting around for a few years, but then it's always got painted eventually. Yeah. Or it's got sold if it's unpainted mm. and I haven't done anything with it. Uh, but as a, as a percentage in general in the hobby, from what other people have said, I think it's probably quite big. You know, I think a lot of people have probably bought a lot more than they've ever painted. Maybe 60, 40. 60 unpainted to 40 painted. Mm. Depends. Yeah, on, on me, yeah me, me personally, um, similar to you, Alex, in that I buy what I want, but I tend to buy a lot of it. So I have got a lead pile, mm. but it's ongoing big projects. So it's yeah. not a small amount of figures. It's a large it's amount of figures on, for a it? big, yeah, there's always, and you know, like we said earlier on, if you can get that 20% discount for spending 300 quid, then I'll do that. And they can sit mm. in a box for a couple of years. You know, I've got, um, because I paint um, horses with oils, I've got, I must have at least 200 painted horses with in a box with uh, undercoated riders next to them just waiting to be painted but that's because of the process that i use it's more economical to do a huge batch of horses in one go yeah, using yeah. oils so that's just the, that's the reason why i do it so for me it's fairly it's fairly low percentage but I, i've heard of stories and there's been stories told on this podcast where people have got um garages literally garages mm. full of um unpainted lead yeah I, I used to be a, a real bugger for it, to be honest. Um, I'm far better now than I was. I've got, I think I can think of one bag full of, um, oddly enough, Alex, First World War, late French. Uh, when Martin very first produced them, I bought um, enough for a square bashing army. Um, and I've never got around to paint. Yeah, yeah, it's probably 150 to 200 figures, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, with all the all the um, extra bits like the casualties, etc. Um, but I think, other than other a few other bits and pieces, I've, I'm I'm not too bad. I do suspect the industry would not survive if people only yeah. bought what they painted. Um, I think it thrives on the fact it's a reliance, isn't it, that people are, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think if people were like you, Alex, <laughs> then uh, wargaming would be dead and buried. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, so, much as I admire, and I, I would much rather be in in the position you are, or have the mindset that you do, um, where you're very focused on on what you game. I am that wargaming butterfly that I can I can read a book, I can see something on the TV, read a magazine article, and suddenly I'm I'm thinking about how I might wargame that. Uh, and occasionally I will go out and buy figures on a whim uh, that I, I do regret uh, later. Uh, I always think you should have that cooling off period, shouldn't you? Of seven mm, to take them back for yeah, yeah take yeah, figures yeah. back. But that's um, the thing, isn't it? So you know, it's a broad church, and you've got the the space for people yeah. like that do what you do and you know like it is the hobby set up for people to do what you do uh there's the hobbies also set up for people like me you know who who are focused yeah, uh mm. so yeah there's there's nothing wrong with any any of those approaches it's just how you enjoy doing it at the end of the day yeah 
I have made a pledge with um, my most frequent war game opponent, Aid, that uh, we will try and play with more with what we've got rather than trying to acquire more because it, it can get ridiculous at, at times. Um, I know he, he's got several collections of figures that he's he's gone into with gusto but has yet to see the table so cool nice one um richard speedman on facebook um what are the best ever historical miniatures rules and i'm asking this so ken doesn't have to faff about with poles and stuff <laughs> uh and the most interesting but why did you pick those rules um the I best guess ones what Alex is gonna say. the best ones are the ones that you like the best yeah my world war ii naval <laughs> rules because they're ace i wrote them and they're really good and same there with the go. pole though no because they're home, home brew aren't they ah. I, I i i'm genuinely saying that because we've had so many really really good games with that set of rules um that and so much fun and so much enjoyment and so we've done we used to do a naval campaign every year um and just purely for the enjoyment of them and the memories of them rather than the you know what the how they're constructed and put together and you know they've never been released they got close once but they've never been released to the general public so that's my favorite set of rules and even though you can't vote for them but i i i just love the memories of playing those rules mm. well i mean obviously mine is chain of command but you know, it really depends on what you want out of a game, doesn't it? It works for me. Mm. And it's something I've never actually played Chain of Command. I've um, I've got the rules. Uh, mm. I'd be interested to give it a go, I have to say. Well, um, let's set it up. I can have a game. Yeah, um, yeah. I've um, I've just invested in some uh, news to the world here. I've just invested in some 20 mil uh, Norwegians. Oh, interesting. Um, um... Early war miniatures, man. Yeah, because I I really do like. I'm not just saying this because he's a nice guy and he was on the podcast. And, um, I really do like the stuff that he does. I think mm. it's absolutely superb quality. I had um, some of his uh, first world war stuff and I loved it, but it was 20 mil, so I sold it on, got 15 mil instead. Um, so I've been looking for a project to do that isn't massive, massive, um, and obviously I'm doing the Narvik naval stuff, so. Reading in and around the naval battles is is all the stuff, and it's quite interesting because you've got you've got the Germans Gerberschegers or whatever they're called, the mountain troops, uh, and then on the Alice Allied side you've got Norwegians, you've got French, you've got British, and there's a Polish independent Highland Brigade. I don't quite know why it's a Highland Brigade, but uh, they turn up as well. So there's some, there's a nice mix of troops. Um, so I've just sort of ordered some of those. Uh, the so Polish first first armored division trained up at Kakubri in Scotland, so it's probably something mm. to do with them being up in Scotland. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, um, I'd, I'd certainly like to give Chain of Command a go at some stage. All right, we'll do it. Let's do it. Cool. Let's do it. But what was the what was the other question? It was why... best ever historical rules and why you pick those rules. Because they're good. Because they're good. <laughs> like it. Because I like them. Grateful. Yeah, I like them. If you want to know, I, I did a, I did an hour-long video on uh, my love for Cherry Command, so just go and watch that. My love, <laughs> for, a big, my love for a big cock. That'll tell you why I like a bit of cock. Awesome. 
<laughs> I uh, I never hide my love of uh, the rules that Peter Pig put out. I talk about it all the time. I bore <laughs> myself talking about it. Um, but it, it just gives me the sort of game that I like to play. Um, mm. I love my little trips down to Weymouth. Um, I haven't been down much. I don't think I've been down this year, actually. But uh, I normally go down there three or four times a year to take part in their games days. Mm. Um, uh and I suspect it's more to do with the people who are around the table as opposed to anything else. But I've got I've got most fond memories of my recent, most recent gaming, or not most recent actually over the last ten fifteen years of of playing those games. So any of them really? Awesome. That's uh, that's uh, that one done. Thank you for that question, Richard. Um, Tim Porter from the Mad Axman on, ah, uh, on the Twitters talked about him earlier. Yeah, which rule set name do you most wish would get a pointless rebrand from its author? <laughs> I yeah, think so. I, I think bolt action should now be called leather action, and 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 see how the demographic of the uh, sales change. <laughs> the online orders might change, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're playing leather action, bolt action tonight. <laughs> Rebrand. Yeah, I don't. I didn't really get this question. I saw it on on Twitter or X, as it's called these days. I mean, a lot a lot of rules don't get rebrands, do they? They they spend forty five seconds thinking about it and then call it LaSalle Two. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Um, second edition is just second edition, isn't it? Yeah, um, Shaco Two. Uh, WRG Ancient Seventh Edition. What, yeah, what, well, what come what come before that? <laughs> but they did go through a rebrand, didn't they? From WRG Seventh to DBM. Was that a rebrand or a different after? I don't know. Well, it, uh, different... yeah, I mean, it took over, didn't it? WRG Seventh. Uh, um... I saw I saw Han Chinese playing against mid Republican Romans and lost the world to me. I was yeah, I'm done. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a it was a revolution in in the in the rules, but it, it took over on the competition scene as the principal set of rules, didn't it? So that, that was probably. I think, I think with a rebrand, I think with any rebrand, let's take a famous social media platform for example. <laughs> you take the risk of alienating your public. You've already spent the time and energy and money on getting people to play your game. Um, so, you know, black powder. Black powder's had a redone. Was it black powder deluxe or something? I can't remember. I think but, so. Yeah, just recently. But they're not going to suddenly change if if they changed it from black powder to flintlock or brown bess, mm. then there would be a group of people who wouldn't associate it with black powder and therefore not buy it. So, it would be pointless changing the it's name. Productive, isn't it? Yeah, I think it, it, going back to Peter Pig, uh, it, it happened with their uh, AK forty-seven rules. So the original or classic, as it's referred to, classic AK forty-seven was really well loved and really got some traction. Certainly in the mid to late nineties, uh, lots of articles in the magazine um, in WI uh, uh, event days. People were playing it all over the place. People were converting it into other eras and period periods and then i forget when it was probably mid 2000s martin wanted to rewrite the rules 
uh, and came out with AK-47 Reloaded, which was ostensibly a completely different game. Uh, the the, figure, the figures you needed and the, the vehicles, etc., are the same, and there's one or two similar mechanics, but quite a change in, in the pre-game setup uh, and how the game played itself. And I loved both games, actually, but there was a hardcore of people who loved the original AK who absolutely laid into Martin for making that decision and vowed never to look at AK. Splitters! Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I suspect many of them never even read it or played it to see if it was any Did they understand that they could still play the other game? <laughs> this is the point, isn't it? That I think some mm. people are worried that the rules police will come round, kick your door in, and t- take the uh, original rules out of your hands. Yeah, you know the, the game still exists. You can still play it. Yeah. You know nothing has changed. The game you yeah, loved. You know you don't have to play the next one. Um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Like you say, I think rebranding has shown recently. It is you know if you build something up to call something completely different you lose mm. half the audience and it and you uh yeah it just doesn't work i don't think so i don't know i, I yeah. uh, i'd not thought about it when i saw tim's question on twitter and now i realize what he was talking about <laughs> given what's happened on twitter i think I, yeah i think back to the uh, the original version of forlorn hope which was the early 1980s and it had an orange cover and it was that classic a5 stapled in the middle book that we've talked about many times you know the how rules used to be and then when that was reproduced as forlorn hope in the uh it was like a stiff binded um copy it didn't have pictures in it was before those days that was quite a radical change but it stayed forlorn hope and the rules more or less stayed the same as well with maybe a few clarifications in there um but to completely rebrand that i think you you're taking a massive risk mm. good luck Especially mr musk yeah, so, <laughs> so stop trying to rebrand the Dark Ages. It's the bloody Dark Ages, as simple as that. Right, Peter O'Brien on Facebook. Hi, Peter. Um, what do you think about the rise in the number of card-driven games? It's just it is just another mechanic, isn't it? Um, to bring, either bring in randomness or be a random number generator. Um, I've played a game using dominoes. To create random numbers. Fives and threes. Fives and threes. Uh, a very good game, actually, uh, by a guy called Graham Evans from the War Games Developments. Um, it was a game called, I can't quite remember what it was now, but it, it was um, What oh, Were the no. Light? <laughs> what Were the Light <laughs> Roman Republican Infantry? Velites. 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 Trying to bring down a Carthaginian elephant. A really good with dominoes using dominoes yeah you didn't they know put, they, they put the spears to one side and go right we're with dominoes <laughs> have a game of this. elephants go elephants knock go him. what <laughs> if you can't go you have to knock uh the, so yeah it these things come in fads don't they in waves um lots of games now have cards or card driven elements to them or for random factors um I'm nonplussed on them myself, to be honest, but um, that's not to say they're a bad thing. Yeah, I think they've been around for quite, they've been around for quite a while. I mean, there's quite a lot of them, I guess, these days. I mean, uh, 
you know, two fat lardies have been using them for a long time to add friction to games. Um, so, you know, through the mud and blood is what nearly 15 years old. Uh, I ain't been shot, mum, even older. Mm. Uh, all their early stuff, bag the hun, uh, kiss me hardy. You know, they're all card driven. It doesn't have to be cards, it could be chits. Put them in a bag. You know, it makes no difference. You're just drawing something out with a different number on it. What I like about card-driven games, uh, and, I'm not, and I, I mentioned that I don't like, um, you know, decks of cards, playing mm. card games, because that takes me out of the game. I like a set of cards for specifically for the game. What I like about them is that you can add whatever element you want into it as part of that deck. So, for example, in IMB Shop Mum, there is the blank card, which stands in for anything you want. Uh, you know, you can have a number of blank cards in the deck. So when four are drawn before the turn ends, something happens, for example. Uh, you know, if the turn ends before that, then nothing happens, that kind of thing. But it adds that little element to it. You can put in stuff to, you know, for vehicle breakdowns if they happen before the turn ends, that kind of stuff. Uh, I like card-driven games when there is a break card in it, so like a tiffin card or a tea break card, then the two fat lardy stuff where the turn, you might not get to do everything you want to do uh, because I love that bit of friction. But again, you know, that can be done quite easily just with a uh, a set of chits drawn out of a bag. Mm. It makes no difference, you know. Um, it's on the same as drawing the dice for bolt action, for example. But, um, you know... It, Horses for courses, isn't it? Doesn't work for yeah. everything. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. In one of the old Featherstone books, maybe Advanced War Games, uh, he had a random element th uh, in in the rules where you you wrote on a card on, on some cards and drew one every other turn or something like that. So yeah, he probably did. Yeah. He did look a lot. But that, of, I mean, that, those classic those classic games like Pony Wars and Sands yeah. of Sudan yeah. are very much card driven. Yes, very um, much. So it's 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 nothing. It's nothing new, yeah. and it's a it's a mechanic that you either like or dislike. I particularly yeah. like it. Um, because we have a lot of the games that we play that we've written our own rules for. We have a an activation deck and then an event deck, mm. and event cards will come out in the activation deck, and then you roll for control of the event, and it might be, you know, a unit loses its colours or whatever, and whoever's got control of it plays it. Mm. Um, and that's a little bit of dice versus dice competition that adds a little bit of you know, uncertainty to what card you're going to draw, who gets to play it, and how they play it. So uh, it's a it's something different for us that we enjoy. I particularly, uh, let me just say, I particularly like the the card mechanism in sharp practice because that's a push your luck mechanism. In that you collect command cards which allow you to do certain things. One doesn't allow you to do a great amount of stuff. Four does, but there is also a turn end. So it's like when you've got three cards in your hand, do you play them then or do you wait on for that fourth one to come up? Because once the turn ends, they then become practically useless. So I like that. You know, that's mm -hmm. it, it gives, It's making you make choices and it's making you think about what you're going to do with the cards mm -hmm. in your hand rather than just a random turn and it's, you know, stuff, stuff coming up. Excellent. Right. Well, we're downhill. We've got three to go. So Andy Rawson on Facebook. Andy's been on your podcast, hasn't he, Sean? Yep. Uh, used to be a member of the mm. Leeds Club. Uh, question for the Binyard Bunch. What are your opinions and thoughts on homebrew rules, either adaptations or published rules or complete in-house concoctions? 
Well, we know yours are, Ken, because... Oh, I, think, I think they're bloody <laughs> awesome. Personally, I think I can't write rules as good as somebody else, so let someone else do it. Yeah, I'm miles better than everyone, so... <laughs> uh, it, it's very much dependent on how you play your games. Yeah. So if you go along to a club and play different people each week, they're not a lot of use. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you um, game as I do with the same people at the same location all the time, then you get used to the same rules and you're not having to cater for other people's armies or other people's setups or other people's basing because you've got effectively like you two were in the cellar, a captive audience. (laughs) Um, But if you're going down to your local game store to rent a table and play a game, then they are no use at all. Yeah. Yeah, because the, the the other person's got to learn them unless they're playing them with you continually. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. you can both take home a set of rules and read them at home, can't you, and come with the same yeah. ideas. And I think I think for the vast majority of people, certainly from um, our, our say, I'm going to say our age group, um, uh, they are quite used to tinkering with rules um, and having house rules and stuff like that. Whereas the generation or, or people who play competitions or play. Um, at a local club store, we'll stick strictly to what's in the rule book. Yeah, I to be honest, I I used to tinker with rules. These days, I don't so much. Mm. I don't bother because, again, I, I figure you know these things have been probably play tested to within an inch of their lives. It's very very rare that I make any changes from rules as written, and that's not to say I'm a rules lawyer. You know, yeah. if somebody comes up with a better idea in a game and says do, or I I do get things wrong. So I inadvertently add my own rules to something because I'm not playing it right. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I uh, I don't I generally don't purposely try to uh, to, to to tinker with mm. them too much. But that's just again because I figured like you know somebody else can write rules much better than I can. So why bother? You know, they've they've written they've written them mm. well. I think I think it's important to remember that you know the people who write rules are homebrew rules they're they're their homebrew rules yeah oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But they just happen to be um published in a position where they can publish them and they've mm. got time to make sure that they work and other people can use them you know you could write a set of rules and sell them for 40 quid um and then change two things and call it something else and sell it again for 40 quid with different photographs <laughs> sounds like a right good business idea that does <laughs> Be millionaires this time next year. Mentioning no names. Mentioning no names. It depends if a big model company buys you up or not. I've got my shares to think about. Shares to think about. Eighteen (laughs) p. I think I might invest tomorrow. Yeah. What about you, Sean? Because you play uh, Peter Pig rules and you'll love them. Do you change any of those? Do you do any? No, and. Oddly, for probably the last 15, 20 years, I've, I've been in the playtest groups for just about every set of rules they've released uh, over that period. And I, I really, I, I must be thick because I, I very rarely come up with any useful contribution as, uh, that beats something that's already there. Uh, it's just not my forte. I, I'm just yeah, not good at that sort of thing, to be honest. Um, 
the odd plus one or minus one there maybe I've done in the past, but I do prefer, as you say, Alex, to trust the rules writer. Mm. Uh, and if I enjoy the game, then I don't see any need to, to house rule. To think of. A friend of mine, he he he's been writing his own rules for about ten years now, and we keep playtesting it, and we've been playtesting it and playtesting it, and he's like, "Oh, now we've got version A, and I've thrown out all these rules, and now we play." So it's like every time we sit down to play, we're playing a different game, yeah. And I just do not get that satisfaction out of it because it's like, right, we're playing. Mm. We're, I'm starting with a brand new set of rules again, you know, that have got some slight semblance to the last set of rules that we played a year ago. You know, I I want to I want to play rules that have been written that have been finalised. Yeah, really. Yeah. And I just have yeah, I don't like the playtesting phase of it to be honest. I, I've yeah. I've done a lot of that playtesting uh, when I go down mm. to Weymouth. Uh, yeah, yeah. The ancient rules uh, are just about finished now. Um, the the Mexican Revolution, the Spanish Civil War, Vietnam, all the, all these various sets of rules I've playtested. Um, but really. You know, my contribution has has been non-existent, really. Um, again, it was the friends you made along the way, though. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the taking part that counts. Absolutely, exactly. <laughs> That's what they always uh, say to yeah. users. And uh, plus, plus one for any any regiment uh, with the Yorkshire in the name. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. In, in the Mexican Revolution, that might be limited, but I'll, I'll take that. Was well, not. Yeah. Was well, not a Yorkshire regiment in the Mexican Revolution? Well, I'm sure there will. I'll find one. I'll find one. Yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely. My wife's going to kill me. <laughs> nearly finished. Well, she she know she knows by now along these bloody things. So, <laughs> uh, when I, when I said to my missus earlier on, she said, "Oh, who's who's on the podcast tonight?" He said, "Oh, it's Sean and Alex." And she said, "Right, well, I'll see you tomorrow when I come over from then. <laughs> Them idiots. <laughs> fucking M3, fucking idiots. <laughs> right, anyway, we're very, very close to the end. Uh, so Dex, Dex McHenry on Facebook, uh, got a second question in. Um, and this, this is what prompted my uh, eviction of you two from the cellar. Um, and it's, uh, scattered terrain is becoming more and more detailed and immersive. Who would the panel recommend for inspiration as the Percy Thrower stroke Alan Titmarsh of War Games Gardening? So as as we said earlier on, we all, we do like a trimmed bush. <laughs> if you want somebody to play in your garden, you have to keep the lawn well trimmed. Absolutely. My, my granddad used to always tell me that. Mm -hmm. I, I find if you I find if you have pampas grass in your garden, everyone comes round. <laughs> no shortage. They all want a bit. They all want a bit. Yeah. They're all dressed in leather though. What's that all about? <laughs> Lederhosen. Yeah. <laughs> I've never never got through never got so much through so much lard in my life. <laughs> oh God. Flashbacks. Uh, right. I'm gonna jump yeah. in with two here. Oh don't do two because you'll do the one I'm gonna think of. <laughs> okay. Uh first one is Joe Bilton, Joe the Wargamer. That was one of my two. Uh-huh. Uh second one, Mark Brotherton. Tactical oh no, painter. I'm all right. I've got one. Still got oh, one. Okay, okay. Uh, tactical oh. painter. He's actually oh. literally just written a blog uh, post on his tactical painter blog about scatter terrain and, in particular, gardens and uh, what we what we call curtilage in the uh, in the business, which is stuff curtilage. curtilage, stuff that is around a building. So backyards, front yards, uh, all that kind of stuff. Scatter terrain. Yards. Yards. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, 
it's something that I take to heart. I think, you know, when you place a, a building on the tabletop, most people just do it as the building. Mm. The buildings have gardens, they have yards, they have stuff around them. So even a little bit of scatter terrain just uh, just adds to it. And both of those two, uh, Mark and and Joe, are absolute experts at it. Mm, very good. I was going. Uh, well, the one I've got left is David Marshall, obviously TM Terrain. Mm. Um, he just does everything fantastically, yeah. um, annoyingly fantastic. But I have seen um, Nick Skinner did some lovely Adam um, stuff. Uh, Al Sheward, Al Sheward as well, Al Cal on um, Twitter. Oh. Fantastic! He did the. He's doing the MGS Crossroads, and I'm going to be playing it at uh, Ebor Lard, and it is amazing, absolutely yeah, amazing. Fantastic. You could look at that table all day long. Is it? Um, is it topiary when they trim the bushes? Yes, it is. It is topiary. Yeah. They have like they do. They do. They'll trim it into a big cock and stuff. That's right. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, Nick Skinner oh, was my, my. I'm doing. I'm doing a one-handed, one-handed tree struggle here. Uh, Nick Skinner was my vote, just purely based on the Arnhem. Yeah. Uh, stuff that he did. That uh, that table I saw at Partisan was mm-hmm. um, just incredible. The amount of de- the level of detail, not mm-hmm. just the amount, but the level of the detail there was something I don't think I've seen before. To be honest, I think it's. Um... I think it's the standard and quality of war games terrain is has take gone on leaps and bounds in this last couple of years. This is it really has made a big, big jump. This is something that I've really picked up on and been part, uh, being involved with the Lardy uh, games days, because the amount of effort that everybody puts into their tables. Uh, we we're talking earlier about immersion and about cards and things. And nowadays, you know, I'm I'm more into the immersion of the game than uh, winning or losing, and 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 it makes me physically sick seeing people down at our club playing on bottle green MDF boards. <laughs> when I think, you know, you can get a you can get a, a, a sheet, a, 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 a fantastically printed uh, wargaming map for next to nothing these days. Mm. You know, and it and it, it does. It's, it's not heavy. Bring it down. Just throw it over your tabletop. Mm. Just make it look nice. You know, you've spent all this time painting these figures. Make it look nice. Can I just Go mention um, another couple? And I don't know the names, unfortunately, uh, but they are part of the Lardy scene. Um, and uh, I see the pictures of their games at uh, various Lardy events. And I think it's. So uh, a lady and a, a man, I think. I don't know if, if the... Jenny oh, and uh, Jenny, Jenny yeah. and uh, I can't remember a partner's partner's name. They do a lot of Iron Bean Shop Mom stuff. Yes, but yes, their tables They're are incredible. Always look great. They yeah, do yeah. Uh, really well done. The standard of the lardy. I mean, I, I I've done steel lard a couple of times. Yeah, right? yeah, of course. You have, and, yeah. And I need the, to get the, out to one the, of these. Yeah, the standard of the tables is is as good, if not better, than many war game shows. It's mm-hmm. absolutely astounding. And it's and it's literally for a date, and it's to play on them as well. That's the thing as well. That's the yeah. other thing. It's, They're not just displays. No, you are playing a game on a fantastic looking table, and it just inspires you as a as a gamer to 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 do better. I need to yeah. break my duck and get to one of these lardy days. Um, well, still lard, soon enough. I think it'll be in November time. November. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll let you I know. Need, I'll drop your yeah. message when we get yeah, all the yeah. Yeah. yeah, I might just go as a punter this time rather than yeah, putting a game on. 
I'm going um, up to Ebor Lard, which is run by John Savage, that one's up in Yorkshire. It's quite a smaller one, though, because he only has a small space to, to do it in. But, um, so it's um, Green Hamilton, isn't it? In the, it is, the, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, actually, Nottingham uh, in two weeks is Lard Workshop. Uh, of course, for Britcon. Mm-hmm. At Britcon, is that yeah, right? Yeah. I'm yeah, saying I'll, it's, I'll, I'm saying it's off the record, uh, but I know... I had an email earlier from Don. Some people have dropped out, so you might be able to jump in on that if you've got a chance. Uh, well, message me offline, Alex, and mm-hmm. I'll, uh, I'll see what I can do there. Yeah. Julia, cool. And the final question, the final question for the night from Andy, our friends of General Hague on the Twitters. And uh, the question to each of you following the uh, Napoleon film, there will inevitably be a Hollywood remake of Bruise in the Binyard. Um, bit B1. Uh, which actor do you want you to? Which actor do you want to play you? Okay, I'll let you go first, Alex. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Martin Sheen. I'm going Martin Sheen because he can play anyone. <laughs> Tony Blair. Tony Blair. Uh, that bloke from Leeds United, Brian Clough. <laughs> that bloke from Leeds United. <laughs> when you said Martin Sheen, for some reason I thought about Apocalypse Now. What's his name? Oh, yeah. Charlie yeah. Sheen. No, Charlie Sheen's his name. Martin Sheen as well. This is Martin yeah. Sheen as well. Yeah. yeah. So, mm. In fact, talking to famous people, when I was on a holiday, um, we came out of our. We stayed in a bunker, stayed in a World War One bunker. You know how to yeah. live it up, you do. Excellent. Well, I tell you, it was really, well done. It was really well done out. Um, and. Mrs. Riley was a bit annoyed that I kept going up into the tu- to the turret and pretending to fire at ships that were passing. But you know, you, you have whiskey when you're on holiday. And you'll, yeah, yeah, you're things, on holiday. You do daft things. You know, yeah, you're on holiday, aren't you? <laughs> uh, anyway, bugger me, we're going for a pint of milk round the corner. Who walks past? Gordon Brown, ex-prime minister, mm. with his missus and his two lads. Well, all right, Gord, how you doing, mate? Who the fuck are you? <laughs> did you throw an egg at him and did he punch you? No, he's um he's uh got a brown he's security guy. That, you know, when, he, when he shows you his pistol. You know, like that. Like, on, <laughs> Do you want some? Do you want some? <laughs> I'm, from, I'm, from Yorkshire, I'm from Yorkshire, mate. Do you want I'll bloody I'll like put your bullet. <laughs> I'll eat it, I'll bite it in my teeth and run towards you. <laughs> If, so this is not answering the question. Yeah, your stories would be ferrets. If I so because I'm the compo, I'm the yeah, compo yeah. of yeah. Uh, of this merry band. I would have Bill Owen, but obviously he's dead. Yeah. So I'll have. Uh, I don't think that's going to be a restriction. To be fair. All right. Well, I'll, I'll go with that. But if it's got to be somebody alive, it'd be Steve Pemberton from uh, League of Gentlemen and Inside Number Nine. Okay. Mm, very good. Very good. I really that's, can't think of anyone. Shut your apprentice. It has. I can't think of anybody. Sean Bean. <laughs> is he? Now, now, why is why is his name Sean Bean? It should either be Sean Bourne or Seen Bean, shouldn't it? You can't <laughs> well, have it yeah. both ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's Sheffield for you. Yeah. I have to say, there's uh, there's a chap on uh, on Twitter, um, historian. I do have a great deal of respect for him, Charles Esker. Dale, is it? He was slagging off. He was, he was slagging off Sean Bean playing sharp. And, sorry, mate. 
Bad times. Bad times. People have been knocked, knocked out for less. He's bored. Yeah, it might he might be from London in the books. But he, he changed but, yeah. it, didn't he? Bernard Cornwall later on he said in his books yeah. that he was from Yorkshire and he got moved down to London. Yeah. In a children's home. Nobody else could play sharp ever. No. no. Yeah. If they ever remake I've, it, I will refuse to watch it. I've seen pictures I've seen pictures of because it was originally gonna be one of the McCann brothers. One, the, one of the McCann brothers, yeah. And I've seen pictures mm. of it, and it just doesn't look right. He'd have been Scouse as well, so that would have been yeah, terrible. Yeah, yeah. He's not totally different. Say, yeah, he's not going to say bastards. <laughs> is he? He's, he, no. No. Not a chance. So, Charles, you're a fantastic historian, mate, but you don't know anything about Sharp. That's all I could say. <laughs> well, gentlemen, it has been an absolute pleasure. That's it. Again. Oh. <laughs> The pleasure me. is all yours. <laughs> if we're annoyed this time, I'm sure we'll find out on, on Twitter very soon. Um, but we've drawn, we've drawn our World Cup. We've had a fantastic um, uh, some interesting clashes. There. Some interesting clashes there. We mm. want to keep hold of uh, to, keep, to keep a look on as it progresses through the rounds and see how the various uh, rules get on. Um, but uh, yeah, anything from you guys until we wrap off? I don't think so. I think everything that we could ever say has been said. In five episodes, each three the hours. entire away. history. Mm-hmm. gaming and beyond. No point saying another word. No. Anyway, I've got to go and feed my German Shepherd. <laughs> That's what they call it in Yorkshire these days. <laughs> I'll go and uh, shake hands with the unemployed. Excellent. Uh, and I'll go and touch my pussy. <laughs> Yay! Good night! Good night! <laughs> Well, everyone, I hope you enjoyed that episode of Brews in the Binyard. We're three hours and 40 minutes into uh, the episode, would you believe? But I really, really enjoy recording the Brews in the Binyard. A lot of work goes into the normal interview ones, background, etc. And although there is some planning for these uh, Brews in the Binyard episodes, I do just let them go and thankfully... The uh, interaction between myself and Sean and Alex makes me smile, and I hope uh, it makes you smile as well. And I hope you enjoyed that. We shall be back with more brews in the binyard at Christmas time. Just leads me to say that uh, the next guest for episode 47 will be David Manley, and uh, David is big into the naval wargaming scene, as many of you follow me in other areas. Uh, well, no, I particularly enjoy naval gaming. Uh, recent projects include one to 400 scale Jutland, all 250 ships. None of this one destroyer equals five rubbish. And uh, recently I've been doing a one 700 scale World War II naval project. So David's done lots of stuff in relation to naval war gaming. He has done um, rules and uh, various projects he does some 3d printing of ships and uh, it's kind of his uh, day job as well so we'll talk more about that when he comes on and uh, we'll talk in great deal of detail about naval wargaming and although i absolutely love it why is it so unpopular 
Well, we'll find out, shall we? I'm looking forward to speaking to David. So that will be out in three weeks' time. And uh, get voting in the War Games uh, World Cup historical rules uh, that will be on the Yorkshire Game of Facebook and keeping on Twitter and stuff like that for other announcements. So thanks once again for listening to Yorkshire Gamer. Give us a like and a follow wherever you find this. Give Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts uh, or wherever you listen to it. Help to spread the news and get more people listening. Uh, thanks once again. Until next time. See you.